In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thanks so much for joining us today. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. I'm your host, Tom Sedlachik, and today we are going to discuss board games. We'll look at what's coming up in the year ahead with crowdfunded board games and give an update on the games we've discussed on the show in previous years. Joining me for the discussion today are the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. Heyo! And the Ox, Adam Wilson. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to the show, guys. Adam, you haven't been on the main show since we did New Year New Games 2022 last January. How did the year treat you? Um, I've been pretty busy figuring out how to be a parent, uh, <laughs> but it's been an amazing last year in that aspect. Um, it definitely has cut into my hobby time. Uh, yeah, try having another one, dude. Yeah, I'm sure that's <laughs> on the road. And then, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of still trying to work out that parent board game balance some people say work-life balance but it's definitely parent board game balance for me but i definitely wouldn't trade it for anything in the world so. yeah i i have a lot of empathy you've also been dealing with pneumonia in the last month like your whole household got sick and you've been dealing with renter issues like how on earth have you gotten through this holiday season <laughs> yeah, to drag I, all of your personal business right, out no, of the air no, that's a, yeah at least it's not about your testicles right, right. Yeah, yeah, well yeah. this year it could be though who knows yeah. i've 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 been there before but um <laughs> So, yeah, no, it, pneumonia hit me pretty hard. Um, I was in the ER for a full day, and and uh, it started with RSV in the house with M, and then she so kindly coughed on me and loved on me and gave it to me, and that morphed into pneumonia. So Yeah, kiddos do it. When, uh, when my family got COVID, it started with me. I went to a conference. I got COVID. I gave it to my whole family, including the baby. So I think it's a much more enjoyable experience <laughs> when you're the instigator and not the recipient. Yeah, so... But we're, we're seeming to be on the other end of it, so hopefully uh, we can get back to more of a normal and then back to more gaming for me. So Awesome. Well, we are very thankful that you are here and feeling pretty good. Bernsey, what's new with you? Oh, you know, same old, same old. It's like I'm, I'm on here so often, I feel like people have a pretty good balance of what's going on with me. Um, I have a family to keep up with that's called the game Final Fantasy fourteen, and so, uh, I don't know, that's been a lot of my time other than just... I don't know, chilling and enjoying myself, playing some board games and stuff here and there too. But well, here's something that I thought was just fascinating this year. PlayStation does its annual wrap up at the end of the year, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, like, all of our friends were comparing notes on how much we played and sc- sharing screenshots of everything. I am the host of a video game podcast, and the hours that I put into the video game podcast are less than the hours you put into Final Fantasy XIV this year. <laughs> You love that game, dude. I do enjoy the game. And it, it's just, it's one of those things It's like, you know, I keep coming up with, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to mess around with this. So, like, a lot of the time this year has been I decided I wanted to create a second character, which you don't have to create a second character. But it had been so long since I played through, like, the early part of the game that I wanted to, like, go back and experience that again. And so I've been kind of, as the year's gone on, just sort of playing through the beginning parts of the game. And so... 
Um, and I've actually like just caught up to like where you're at in the game with my second character, which it, is funny. It's interesting because they did a free play weekend, so I was able to jump back in for four days and we played together a little bit. That game is phenomenal. Yeah. And it's funny, the last time I played, I had a two-month game card, and so I played my two months, and then my time was done, and then I didn't touch it again for over a year. I logged back in, and I'm messing with my skills. I'm like, these are mapped really stupidly. Like, I, this is not optimal. Like, yeah. I had to flip between hotbars multiple times, which on a controller... Not ideal. Well, and since the last time you played two, there was a uh, there was a new expansion, and sometimes that like fully removes some abilities or changes uh, like the potency or how some of the abilities act. Like, luckily, your class warrior didn't really change a lot, um, but some of them there like there is times where you'll just have like these little grayed out buttons on like half your hot bar and you're just like oh okay well time to refigure all this crap out for this class and it's a lot of pressure doing that when you have a four day window like I did not yeah. want to spend time reading the skills like I wanted to bust through some dungeons I wanted to play the game and try to push the story forward a little bit but right man it's a good game yes it is if I were to give up uh, OIO I would probably spend more time with FF14 yeah that's understandable I mean that would be a good time sink it's, I mean, there's just, and there's so much more like story, like you're just about to the end of the content between the re-released game and the first expansion. And so, um, and I put hours into it and like, oh, yeah. all I was trying to do was get through that bridge content and like, I didn't do it. And, and the bridge content, that first set is super long because basically what was happening. The between... game sucked and then they made it better and they had to connect it. Well, so like 2.0, which is Realm Reborn, which you finished already, like, that was, like, the recreated game. But then they had lots of other, like, systems that they were adding on as time went on. And so that distance and what they were sort of, like, padding out between Realm Reborn and then Heavensward, there was lots of things that they were doing in there. So it's kind of like this dribble of content to try to keep players, like, actively engaged in the main story um, as it went through there. And, and all of it is, like, consequential. Like, they've recently gone through. They actually like cleared out some of the things that happened in there and streamlined it a bit more, but they're still like, that is for sure the largest amount of time in between expansions of like things that you have to do from like the end of one to the beginning of the next one. I asked you what happens with a predict particular character that I like. Cause I've like seen some streaming and like, I've looked at uh -huh. shirts for FF 14 and I never see this character in like any of those things. I'm like, do they die? Like what happens? You're like, yes, no, it's complicated. Do you really want to know? And I thought, and I said, no, no, I really don't want to know. But God only knows if I'll ever play to the point where I find out what happens. Well, and I was going to say, it's also, like, think of it from this perspective, too, to an extent, is, you know, JRPGs are also kind of like comic books in the way that, is a character ever really completely dead? Like, they'll find ways to, like, wedge them back in for this way or that way or the other thing. But, but yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> Man, I so desperately want to know. I feel horrible that I didn't close 2022 with any kind of statement of gratitude. I did the same thing last year. I get so wrapped up in the production schedule of OIO. And the December show uh, records in the middle of November in between deer hunting and Thanksgiving and the holiday season. And I'm always like, all right, it's another show. Here's the topics. Here's what we're talking about. Boom, boom, boom. Business, business, business. Show is done. I release it. I'm like, oh, crap, that's the end of the year. I didn't say thank you to anyone. So uh, once again, just like last year, I would like to... Uh, Say some thank yous. I've been doing Outside is Overrated monthly for four years now. It's been a pretty remarkable journey. I can't possibly thank everyone who has played a role in this adventure over time. But I would like to call out our sponsors, Drs. Brian and Kelsey Camille with Premier Health. Thank you so much for supporting our show. My co-host, my primary co-host, the Hobby Box, Joe Burns. Hello. 
I'd like to thank our Game Pass Forever co-host and occasional main show co-host, Dr. C. Casey Aline. Our other main show co-hosts, Brian, Billy, John, Casey, Patrick, and Adam. All of our fantastic supporters on Patreon and everyone who takes part in the OIO Discord, whether you're a patron or not. And most importantly of all, my amazing wife, Phoenix. I love doing the show. Like, I love doing this show. It's a lot of work. It's hard to balance the work that goes into it with both a full-time job and two little kids, but the show keeps growing, and uh, it's a tremendous creative outlet for me. I was going to say, uh, good job of catching that, like, you didn't leave, you left Adam off of the main show host, except for he can see the exact thing that you're reading off of, so he knows you left him out. But I'm sure he's grateful that you added him back in verbally. Yeah, uh, Adam, uh, blindfolds there. Uh, yeah, that, I think there. I have a mistake on mine. So, yeah. No, I think I'm definitely there on his notes. It's okay. Yeah, no, definitely. It's yeah. it's printed in, in ink. Also, shut up, birds. <laughs> I am so thankful to everyone who takes the time to download the show and listen to our opinions on games, movies, and nerd pop culture. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me a creative outlet. Before we move into the main show, we have a correction from friend of the show, Scott Bullard. Bernsey, you ready for this? Going back to our 90s video game movie show. Yeah, yeah. Scott writes in to tell us that Daisy was not the princess in the original Super Mario Bros. That was Peach, but in the U.S., she was Princess Toadstool until Mario 64. Daisy was the princess of Sarah Soland from the Super Mario Land on the Game Boy. So, I mean, hey, I, I would, I would. Uh, I didn't fact check it. Maybe he was just trolling you. Oh no, no. I, I, I would, I would, I would give way to Scott's knowledge uh, anytime about things like that. That like Mario, Sonic, Zelda. Um, like I would, I would sort of bow to whatever he says because I'm sure it's correct. Yes, bow to Scott. Bow to Scott. Scott, thank you so much for writing in and for that correction. Thank you also to our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn, as in Minnesota.com. Please support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. Contributions start at just $2. I know how printed paper works. Never mind the rustling. Everything is fine. You guys and your tablets are... Uh... Yeah, see, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change page like you did. Isn't that crazy how that just doesn't come up on the microphone? It's so nice. Burns, your words are hurtful. <laughs> if you enjoy this nonsense, you can follow us on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That is overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ThompsonLogicOIO on all platforms. Follow Joey at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and at twitch.tv slash HobbyBoxBurns. At some point, I'll stream again. I was going to say, it's been you. a while. It's As been like three months. <laughs> And you can follow Adam at Ox's Auditorium on Instagram. You can also follow the show at Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. For our first main topic today, we start by looking to the future. We're going to talk about the games we are excited for and what we have backed. What is the current state of the game market? Are games actually coming out? We had a similar discussion last year in the midst of like major supply chain issues. Adam, you told me just before we came on the air that you just had a boatload of games roll in. Yes. So I would say they're figuring it out. Obviously, production is still rocky, I'd say. Mm -hmm. You kind of hear different stories from different people, but I, or not people, but producers or developers or whatever you want to call them. Um, whoever's designing the games and paying for it or working with, you know, basically China to get them made. Mm -hmm. um, I think different company sizes have a factor and there's a couple different main, you know, board game create like, comp like factories. 
So that plays also a factor on, I think, pricing and stuff like that. But for the most part, I feel people have kind of figured it out. I've had a ton of Kickstarter games arrive to the point of me almost running out of space, (laughs) sadly, in my giant room of board games to where I had to actually do two collection calls this year. So I have another stack of probably about 15 to 20 games that will be leaving my collection again. Um, just from, well, A, board games seem to be getting nothing but larger. Mm-hmm. Well, especially um, the games that you like. Correct. And obviously more expensive. Um, I'm actually kind of baffled. I was looking at some of my old Kickstarters that were arriving and how much I paid for them versus how much I'm paying for Kickstarter games now. And it's like, holy smokes, this game was only 150 bucks. And then you think at, you're like, you think you're like $150 for a board game. That's super expensive. Yeah. But then it's like you look at some of the games that have been arriving. So I was a a game we're talking about later. I was a late late backer too. So Joe got it at a great price. I paid the more expensive price. And yet even MSRP is going to increase even more from that. And I mean, we're talking in the hundreds of dollars for a game. Well, like Frosthaven, for instance, is going to retail, I believe, at $250. Yeah. I love board games. I love <laughs> board games. But the odds of me paying $250 for a board game, almost nil. <laughs> almost nil. Like, that is nearly the price of a new console. Tom, that's yeah. why you keep your board game suppliers close. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> hey, Burns, you need some more Xbox Live? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's actually, like, tomorrow is when I can redeem all that. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Do you think that... Casual, more casual board game fans who only buy things at retail felt the supply chain issues. Like, I walk down the board game aisle at Target. It's always full of games. I yep. go to the source. It's always got plenty of games yep. on the shelves. Do you think it was something that was more specific to uh, people Crowd, like you who crowdfund games? For either sure. either that or else people, people that are fans of certain designers mm-hmm. or certain IPs and are like, oh, the next one's coming. And then it's like nine months later, oh, the next one's coming. Nine months later, oh, the next one's coming. Right. You know, And so I think like people that got into Gloomhaven and are waiting for Frosthaven that have probably be, felt it, right? That must be excruciating. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and I don't know, not to... It's close. Yeah. Oh, it's close, Joe. Oh, We're my gosh. One of these it, days. But... One of these days we'll get it. But uh, And I think it's interesting because there's been lots of troubleshooting to try to find ways around... I think just constraints, right? So one of the games that we're going to talk about later, Aeon Trespass Odyssey, which is what Adam was talking about before too. Um, the way that they sort of worked it out was it was cheaper for them to ship all of the games. I think it was via train from China to Poland. And then they air shipped via FedEx, everything outside from there. And like five years ago, if people were using airmail to send out more than just like, copies for reviewers like it was insanity because it was way more expensive but Mm -hmm. the prices have changed for freight so much that that actually made more sense for them to do it that way which is it's just crazy to see how things have been developing and changing along those lines too and and how like for instance that same game one thing that they did is they're like yeah this has hit us like hard financially like the way that the shipping has changed as we've been producing the game and so they're like you know we're gonna put out these couple of extra add-ons that you can add on later um and uh, you know it's gonna help us get more money back for 
shipping that like all the money that we're losing in these logistics that has like just astronomically gone up so that we can at least try to break even like mm-hmm. that's that's what they're hoping for like when they originally went this up or, or put set up everything like they were probably going to make a good amount of money but then with how much just creating the game and getting the game out has changed in cost like they, they were like they were looking at a significant loss that would have maybe sunk the company if they couldn't get help to do that well and it's not just the shipping and the freight a lot of people like that's the big glaring issue but a lot of people overlooked like just the inflation of this last yeah. year and just the sheer cost of producing a board game mm-hmm. i mean i remember one of the first years one of the first couple of years i was in the industry and like talking to someone um i was with arcane wonders at gen con and they um i was talking to them as i was helping them play test one of their games and they told me how much do you think this game actually costs us to make and i said i have no idea so you re- you bought it for retail at 80 dollars, and i'm like i don't know like 25 30 bucks and they're like nope less than 10 dollars. Huh. so you know rewind 10 years it was ten dollars to make a pretty. I mean, it was there wasn't like minis or anything in it. It was like, but it was mm-hmm. lots of boards, lots of cards, lots of like little chips, and it was ten bucks. Nowadays, I can't even imagine they could get a board yeah. game like a card game. Maybe cost ten bucks to make, right? You know, and so like just even the production cost. So you have production mm-hmm. and shipping and everything else just has gone up, and you've you've seen that reflected. So now when I see a Kickstarter for eighty bucks, I'm like whoa, that's probably a really good deal. I should probably just look at that for the sheer cost of it, uh-huh. sadly. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. Do we think that these rising costs are going to cripple the board game industry? I've already mentioned my price sensitivity. Yeah. Like, even if a game is amazing and has premium components and is, like, the most Tom-friendly game on the planet, I have a hard time <laughs> shelling out $250 for a single entertainment item at this time of my life. As prices go up, I can't be the only one feeling that sensitivity. No, I'd say a lot of people are. And, and you see that reflected in just even the crowdfunding campaigns. They're like, oh, I've, I've been following this game since day one. And now that you've dropped the prices, I can't afford this. Like, I've seen countless comments mm-hmm. like that on crowdfunding campaigns. And, and sadly, like, I feel bad for the companies, you know, because they can't do much about it. Like, they, in the end, they are a company and they have to make money in order to survive. They mm-hmm. have to pay the designers for the designers to continue to do this. And, and if, you you know, so you're correct like it, it's hard all around so hopefully the some of us with you know spare cash will keep throwing it their way but that's just kind of you have to pick and choose and, and i've had to do a lot of picking and choosing this last year and i think it's it's not just that but it's also like so many people own so many things right mm-hmm. and i think one of the other like weird things of the pandemic is people like got all these games either right before the pandemic or as it was going on, whatever sort of trickled out, but it's, they haven't had a chance to really get together with people and play them yet. And so because you have this backlog of things that you want to play and it's like, well, I'm not going to buy X, Y, or Z unless I'm super excited for it because mm-hmm. I really need to play these other games and see if I like them or not and sell them. And I think then the price on top of it is just like, Oh, okay. Well, I was excited about this game but maybe I'll try to pick it up down the line for a little bit cheaper or something like that or or wait for a sale like a year after it comes out. Um, And and so it it does make it a lot more difficult to just sort of back something and be like, yeah, I'm super interested in this. I'm going to back it and be along for the ride. Now it's like, 
I really am excited for this game. I'm going to back it. Like that's my philosophy anyway and how that's changed. I mean, right now, board games, I only have one Kickstarter coming next year um, because the other games I was interested in, but it wasn't enough to sort of tip me over the edge or it was one of those things where I just wasn't, I just, I just was torn as to, or I had a couple of like questions as to whether I really was interested in it or, or, or whether the game would pay off or not. Um, like for instance, last year, like Marvel dice throne, I going in, I didn't expect to buy that, but then, you know, I saw it and it was a relatively decent price and I picked it up and it like, they had a pretty aggressive like timeline as to when it was going to get to us. And it came like a week after that. So it was just like to back a game in March and get it in June was just insane. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't March, but it was it was sometime. It was sometime. It would have been before we did the podcast last year because we would have done it. But it was still like the time frame was super quick turnaround, um, which was awesome, uh, especially compared to some of these other games that you know I backed and it's taken years to get them and they're finally starting to trickle through. And kind of kind of on that too quick, um, one of the big things people don't realize is over the last probably four to five years, on average, between high 3,000 and low 4,000 is the number of new games that have released within that year. That's so, nuts. So we're talking <laughs> close to maybe, you know, fifteen to 20,000 games yeah. in the last five years that have released. I can. No one can play that many games. Right. Like, that's insane. So you, you have all of these games coming out, and everyone's trying to pull the FOMO factor on crowdfunding. It's... Oh, if you back us now, you get these two special characters that we're only yeah. giving to our backers, or you have to buy through our web store at an extremely increased cost later. Mm -hmm. I think with the pandemic and everyone receiving all these games later in chunks now, people are seeing through that more, but it's still a factor, like the FOMO factor along with just like... Well, FOMO is a big part of marketing. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So it's just like a very large factor, but I think more and more people are realizing it within the board game industry too. A follow-up question. I am highly unlikely to pay full price for a game, but I am interested in finding good deals on games. And so I've been scanning secondary market, especially on Facebook Marketplace. Am I actively hampering this hobby that I love by purchasing games secondhand? I would say no, because uh, for me personally, <laughs> I sell them on Facebook Marketplace. And what do I do with that money? I'm like, hey, I can sell these three games pretty quickly, get them turned around. They're getting a good deal. I'm getting money back and now I can pay for this other campaign. So a lot of the people that are selling games on Facebook marketplace are typically taking that money and mm -hmm. putting it into another campaign. Yeah. So I would say no. Um, yeah. And like targets a larger factor or becoming mm -hmm. a larger factor. Their, their board game section is exploding kind of. And, and not to say like I've bought games from target too. I can't blame anyone, but to me that's more of a hindrance to the board game market by only some of these very exclusive select mm -hmm. designers being able to get into Target and making that kind of money, you know, instead of supporting a local game store or someone who will reinvest into the hobby. But I'm not like, I don't know. I can't say buying games at Target is a bad thing because I've done it too because right. it's like they have really good sales. So, um, but as long as you're buying games, Tom, I'm not going to get upset with you. Yeah. All right. Do you buying things on the secondary market like going to SeaWorld? You have to feed the whales. Yep. Or the, man <laughs> or, or the manatees. <laughs> oh. 
Feed the vanities, Burns. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's talk about some individual games. These are some things that we have crowdfunded or thought about crowdfunding. We're going to start with a game that Adam suggested, Tainted Grail, Kings of Ruin. This game is published by Awakened Realms, who also did Nemesis and This War of Mine. It is designed by, oh goodness, here we go, Christoph Piskorski and nice. Marcin Sweekort. The uh, theme... Marcin is right. Marcin? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it checks out. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, the theme is Arthurian Legends meets Celtic Mythology. Is, am I saying Celtic right? Yeah. Yes. Thank yep. goodness. Not Boston Celtics. Yeah. Celtic is actually how it's said, yeah. Oh, you, uh, you've got me all up in my head about my handle on the English language. And you've you've uh you've you've nailed everything so far for the most part and, and i will say i can't remember what was the word last time i can't remember either but yeah. i was really uh i was really embarrassed that i've been saying it wrong my so entire a life. podcast i was listening to the other day um one of the guys on the podcast had to try to say assuage and he'd never seen it before so he kept, he said like three times a sewage <laughs> And finally somebody stopped him and they're just like, I think it's assuage. And he's like, I've never seen this word before in my life. I'm just reading it from this article. And I've read it. I've read that word many times, but uh, I've never pronounced it correctly. Awesome. English is dumb. Yeah, English is dumb. Uh, Tainted Grail Kings of Ruin is a one to four player adventure game. It has a dieless encounter system. No die, it's all cards. And no dying either. It's crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> This game has a Board Game Geek rating of 8.2. Adam, can you uh, give us just uh, a little bit of a feel for this game and why you're excited about it? Yep. So the original Tainted Grail uh, came out probably a couple of years ago, I think. Um, and I backed that all in. So basically all in would be the original Tainted Grail story that they sold in the core box. And then they had a bunch of extra campaigns you could play through with different characters, basically. And it's important to play the characters that come with the campaigns. You can swap them out. But through my play experience, if you're not playing the correct, not correct, but the designated characters for the story, you will miss out on elements. Because there are basically shortcuts that your character allows to happen in the game, which is super important uh, because basically it's a very, very dark game. It's you are thrown into like the worst situation possible. Uh, basically like the land of um, I'm not going to remember now. Misfit toys. Yes. The land of misfit <laughs> toys, uh, you know, like Camelot. And I'm trying to remember the, the name of basically that Island uh -huh. and the Celtic, but you know, Camelot and the surrounding area is just in darkness and they, they call it the weird basically. And it's like this fog, just weird, darkness and you need to have special meneers to actually light up the area to basically get the weirdness away and those are the words of the game mm -hmm. not mine um weirdness spelled with a y yeah. correct um i did some research <laughs> but it's actually the like story like web behind the scenes so you have this giant campaign book so you're playing on cards and the card is your map and you're moving your character around interacting with different locations. So it's not just straight combat. Sometimes you're actually just trying to like have a diplomatic talk mm -hmm. with like settlements to like get on their side saying, hey, I'm not a bad person. I'm trying to help you. Um, and the locations kind of work like uh, Betrayal or like a tile placement game, right? Where you draw the card for the location and it builds onto the area that's already on the board. Correct. It's, it's a preset map, but what allows you to travel it though is you have to be within like a nine square hex so like if you think of like a 
tic-tac-toe grid, basically, a Meneer can only light that far. So in order to progress past that, you have to find another Meneer and light the next nine grids and walk that way in order to find your objectives. Um, now, by doing that, there's so many twists and turns mm -hmm. and there's lots of side quests you can get distracted with. Yep. And then if you don't have it lit, you start going crazy. And so Joe and I actually tried to start a campaign and that was our first experience with it. And we basically died mm -hmm. like right out of the box. I had to redo chapter one, like three more times solo to actually figure it out. And I played like almost every single tile to its fullest in chapter one to like get an understanding of how they mapped this out. And I'm like, there is so much shiny things to distract you. It is insane. <laughs> But it's so cool because it, the story is so rich and that's what really intrigues me. And that's where Kings of Ruin is kind of really sparking my interest. So Kings of Ruin is a standalone expansion to the original Tainted Grail game. So you can you could have just bought this game on its own. And it's supposed to cut down on some of the grindiness. And what I mean by the grindiness is I was talking about those maneers you have to light to move on. You have to collect so much in that local region to get that lit. You're basically constantly fighting against time of how long your Meneer mm -hmm. is lit for. <clears throat> that it's like, okay, I can maybe do two side quests total. But I don't know what's a side quest versus what's important. Yeah. And I'm trying to like siphon through all of this stuff. And It feels like there's a lot of noise in this game. There's a lot, but that's part of it. Like, they designed it to be that way. Like, you really have to focus on what's important. And I felt so dumb because I was playing like, and I was like, so focused on, oh, this, it's got to be here. And you get this like really cool, like old school drawn map when you get the game. And it's like, oh, well, this was made by a map maker like a hundred years ago. So it could be inaccurate. So I'm like trying to find like my quest currently is to find Camelot. Well, I can see on the map where it's at. It's and only next, a model. Next thing I know, I'm like. On the map, I'm like, I am, like, at the north part of the island in Camelot's in, like, the middle eastern section. What the heck? Where, where did I go wrong? And I go back and read my quest, and it literally tells me what tile Camelot's on. And I had to go back to Meneers to relight it so I could get to Camelot because I just completely missed that part of the game. <laughs> I went off and did all this side quest stuff that I was like, if you're in Chapter 13, I'm in Chapter 2 at the time. <laughs> and I'm like... But that's the crazy thing is if you lose track, like you can just keep moving the story forward. The problem is, is it gets harder if you're not getting those quests because those quests give you really good character level up chances and opportunities. And then it progresses that story naturally as well. But if you're going off and kind of just like forcing the story forward on your mm -hmm. own, you can do it. But it's tough and it makes your game tough. So I'm having to backtrack right now on my current play. But it's still like the things you run into is just mind blowing. And, and it's, it's hard to say. And, and like, I, I, I doubt maybe everyone on the podcast listening is going to, is going to like play it. Yeah. But some of the story elements, is just like crazy. Like there's a blacksmith, for example, and I'll kind of give this away cause it's a chapter one thing, but it's like if, and there's a, so there's like a blacksmith, a healer, a addict, a recovering addict of some kind. I haven't figured out what from what yet. Cause I'm actually playing that character in my current playthrough, but you find out story elements of yourself as well as you play. But if you take the healer to a location, it doesn't matter. But there's this, like, giant sword when you first arrive on the island. But if you take the blacksmith there, there's actually a blacksmith there that, like, knows your mentor. 
And then it unlocks this like auto storyline forward and it gets you this sweet item and things like that. So it's like just even finding the right combo of people to bring in is, is super cool. And I think when we played, I started that yep. and then ran somewhere else because we had like, oh, I got to figure this out. Yep. <laughs> it never went back to do that part. Yeah. So that's funny. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's so cool. So it so, sounds like the true joy here is discovering the path through all the noise, like sorting sure. out the red herrings and figuring out what you actually need to do. That's an intriguing premise. And yeah. I, and I think the noise helps add character to the game also. So yep. it's not like it's like completely entirely worthless, but um, you can't be someone like me that wants to gonna, try to clear everything out. I was just going to bring that up because you mentioned <laughs> there's a time element too. Mm-hmm. And Brinzi, I know how you approach games. You like to yeah. see everything, touch everything, do everything, collect everything, experience everything there is to experience. But this game penalizes that? Kind of. I mean, they tell you like eight and a half times throughout the tutorials and even like some of... So there's every night you can have a chance to dream. And even in some of the dreams, they're like, you can't do everything, Burn, so don't try. <laughs> like, it reminds you constantly. Like, the whole first chapter is all just hints on how to try to get through that noise. So it tells you, you will have to play the same campaign multiple times if you want to discover every little side quest. Because you literally just don't have the time yeah. before your character goes crazy or kills himself or dies or whatever happens. So I think that's the idea, is that... That adds replayability because it's like, oh, I'm going to engage with this this time while we're also trying to do the main story stuff to advance things or try different things to see if that will advance things in a different way, I think, right? Correct. Burns, you own approximately 10,000 games. Adam, I know you're in the same boat. Do you like replayability or do you want to experience your thing and then move on to the next thing? Uh, so it's interesting. I do enjoy replayability. It's just whether you'll actually get back to it or not is, is part of the question. Um, but I think having, I think having a story that you can experience, if it gives you like that want to go back and experience it again with other people, um, like, I think that that's a benefit like Gloomhaven, for instance, I, I mean, I love that game. It's one of my favorite games of all time. I don't know that I would ever play through it all the way from start to finish again because I kind of know what happens. There's a, some there's some variability. There's, like, some different paths that you can go down. Um, but but you know a lot of the characters. I know, you know a, lot a lot of the unlocks. I know a lot of the stuff that unlocks. Like, that's what a lot of the joy is. Whereas here, it's, like, storylines that you didn't really mess with, mm-hmm. and you could go down those paths and see what new things those open up for you. And I think that's interesting. Then Adam, you've experienced pretty much all of chapter one in this game. Is this mm-hmm. an experience where you'd enjoy playing it with other people or now that you've seen everything, are you done with that portion of the game? No, forever? I would, I would totally happily like sit down and play with more people again, because here's the thing. So I actually met like another nerd dad at daycare and, and we played a little bit of it too. Cause I was just like really in that mood. And when I got to a storyline, I knew I told him, I said, you're making the choice solely on your own here. I don't want to weigh in because I know what happens with outcome A or like, I know I, I didn't say a, but yeah. I know what happens with one of the outcomes. I want you to pick. Well, he picked and he happened to pick the one I didn't know, which was cool. But I told him, I said, oh, I know what happens to the other one. He's like, well, do you mind just telling me? And I'm like, sure. If you, if you want to, I'll tell you what happens. And I like told him this. He's like, oh, that's really cool. And so it's like, it's still, it was still a joy for me to go through chapter one so many times and then still have like that one little thing I ever ne- never actually did and have someone else choose that. And even if they didn't, it, 
to see what happens sometimes when you're just like, oh my God, like you get yourself in these dumb situations, <laughs> just like me getting distracted by the noise and completely walking like three spaces north of Camelot to like find all this crazy stuff and then realizing, oh crap, I could have found this way faster and like been <laughs> like, cause I, now I'm in the chapter where it's like, it's literally like I'm on the time ticker saying, Hey, you're running out of time. And it's like warning me. And if you, it's like, if you do this in like three more times, you're dead. So I'm like, okay, I really got to get, I got to hail hightail back there and get to Camelot. So yeah, it's, it's cool. But I, I think I've also inadvertently, and I haven't discovered this yet, unlocked things further already. So well, as I was deep diving, I found this really unique item. And I'm pretty sure it's a super key item to the main story of the game. As I was mentioning chapter 13, because I was sitting there getting so distracted by shiny things. <laughs> so I'm hoping in chapter 13, I might have a little reprieve mm -hmm. and it just be like, oh, do you have like, you got to go find this. And I'll be like, oh, you mean this? <laughs> and then, you know, basically skip the chapter. Maybe I don't know, but in, it's, it's amazing. In RPGs, that always feels really good. Like, yeah, I think that happened a couple of times in Horizon for me, where it's like um, uh, uh, Forbidden West, where they're like, oh, you should go collect all these things. Oh, you have them already. Well, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, yes, <laughs> I did it. Who is this game for? It's clearly for people who like an in-depth narrative. Like, if yep. you just want to uh, throw some dice and kill some dudes, this is not going to be... No, because you're not throwing dice, and I'm a big dice thrower. But the combat system's interesting. It's actually very hard to learn, in my opinion. It's, a, it's like, symbol-based, and the symbols tie to character traits. So, like, music symbols? Like yes, correct. I mean, basically, you are having to smash those sides together. <laughs> but basically, you get, like, oh, here's how much damage you deal, but it has to match this symbol... And it's all about how you play your cards. But but really, if you're looking for a combat game, I wouldn't say this is the game. This is more of a, do you want to really have these crazy, almost like survival situation scenarios that you're trying to navigate either by yourself or with a friend? And yeah, there will be some combat, so that's refreshing. One of the games we're talking about later is a combat-less game, actually, that I'm super excited for. Um, but... It's it's definitely like you would have to want story and like story twists and elements. I think that's where Tainted Grail really shines. I feel. And we're talking about Tainted Grail, Kings of Ruin, Burnsy. One more question for you on this game: Would it be absolutely unbearable playing this with Casey and the way that he has to absorb all the information to process it? Do you think the noise would break his brain? It, it maybe would. Um, I think the biggest thing with any of these games is. Like, if you know it has to be approached from a certain perspective, and, like, the good thing is it's cooperative, right? So you are working together. But if you know things need to be approached a certain way and you know somebody that's playing it, like, wants to do everything, right, like me, right. you know? Um, if you sort of say that up front, like, this is sort of the way that this game works and you really have to avoid doing X, Y, or Z... Um, I think you can set the stage well enough for anybody as long as you kind of know who those people are and how they play games and how they interact with things. Um, I think it's a be, good way to handle it. I think it'd be fascinating to see how my brain interacts with it because I tend to scan information, make a snap judgment, and then push things forward. So it'd be interesting to see how I handled the noise. Like that second to last game of, or that second game of Sherlock. <laughs> when we're just like we're gonna finish it as fast as we think Sherlock would and it's like it gets to the end and we have no idea like most of the questions how to answer them <laughs> Tom do you like to get lost in the details 
No, I like no. to I like to keep things rolling. Okay, so like a crazy thing about this game though is you want to read the fluff. You want to look at the art because the designers hid clues even in the card art oh, of really? your land and even in the fluff that like there's like little fluff like sayings that most games you're like, oh, that's a cool joke like or that's silly or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hang on a second. That actually meant something. And then as you start to realize that, then you start paying attention to stuff. So this game, I actually have a journal and I'm taking notes in my playthrough per location because it's like, oh, I need this certain key term for this to work. So I have to take a note for it because you're not supposed to go back into this journal to like reread stuff because there's so many secrets per se, I guess, that, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's cool. It's so cool. It's a very well-designed game. I just envision you being like that Zach Galifianakis gif where it's his character from The Hangover and he's like thinking and then like the equations are going by like that's you it's like i think this makes sense somewhere yep yeah and that's what you start doing uh-huh. is you're like that has to mean something <laughs> um so yeah it's 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 a very cool experience <laughs> kind of like that one crate that i kept carrying around in divinity original sin for like probably 30 minutes you drove me crazy with that crate <laughs> He slowed us down so much, and like I'm trying to push the pace and like keep things flowing. <laughs> I think that if I had won that uh, billion dollar Mega Millions jackpot, I would have just bought like my own gaming complex, and every week we could have played games. Be nice. I wish you would have won. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Anything else we want to cover on Tainted Grail: Kings of Ruin? I did want to note that this game is on GameFound, not Kickstart. Uh, can you explain again the differences between GameFound and Kickstarter? We talked about it yep. a little bit last year. So GameFound originally started as a pledge manager. So to give everyone kind of an understanding, I don't know if we've ever covered this. Yeah, basically, yeah. Kickstarter was the original. And what you did with Kickstarter was you basically said, I'm going to pledge this amount of money. And and then, you know, if everyone, if it raises its goal, Kickstarter charges you, they hold the money for a couple days and they give it to the company. Well, then the company has to open a pledge manager and say, okay, now we need your shipping information. You need to pay for shipping. And then if you want to add anything else to your order, do so now. So GameFound originally started as one of the larger pledge managers or one of the more popular Mm -hmm. ones. And there has always been, there's always like the political red tape in anything, sadly, as much as I'd love to get away from politics and board games, there's Mm -hmm. definitely politics and board games. So GameFound basically came out and said, Board games is like the reason Kickstarter is still floating. Like I think board games is one of the largest categories on Which crowdfunding. In, it's interesting because Kickstarter also does comic books. They do movies. They you can fund like any artistic venture mm-hmm. on Kickstarter. It's interesting to me that board games is supporting the entire platform. Yeah, I mean it's a huge, huge, huge revenue sink for them. And some of the largest campaigns have been board game or board game adjacent related. Yep. Um, and I say board board game related because like wormwood which i'm a big fan of they do high quality wooden game accessories and tables and they launched a budget friendly uh, i'm doing air quotes here budget friendly uh board game table i mean they said it started at 200 bucks or whatever it was but that was like for their bottom of the line coffee table that really couldn't do much uh-huh. but i i'd say probably it averaged at three thousand dollars a table oh, but they raised friendly. yeah yes, yeah yes. they raised in the original campaign over 10 million dollars and set kickstarter goals and and they had a lot of people add on after that too yeah um but yeah th- so 
board game and crowdfunding is huge. So GameFound was one originally just a pledge manager where companies would then go and collect all that information. So now they're like, hey, we can do it better. Or at least they claim. I don't think the the stats haven't really shown they can do it better, but there's a lot of just, it's just pure board game crowdfunding on there or a board game adjacent with, I think some mini campaigns have come out. Uh, mini meaning miniatures. Um, but So maybe not better. Are they comparable? Do you think it's a worse experience back in It's kind of nice having it all in one, in my opinion. Um, I like their, they have like this side scroll, like table of contents you can click on and mm-hmm. jump. I think they've done some things better. Yeah. Um, so, because I mean, a lot of the reason why there's these these backer kit, or well, I say backer kit, that's one of the other ones, but these these sort of back end ones is because Kickstarter notoriously had a really bad like pledge manager. So, like once it's done, how do you manage things through Kickstarter? And it wasn't very good at all. So that's why these other companies sort of built up was to fill that gap that people had to to fulfill those needs. Um, and still to this day, like. Kickstarter has maybe changed some of that stuff a little bit, but not a lot. It's just so many people still go to Kickstarter because they know Kickstarter. They've heard of it. Mm-hmm. So they already have kind of that install base of people. Um, and last year, the record-breaking Kickstarter, um, which is now the most funded one, was actually for books. It was the Brandon oh, yes. Sanderson, uh, the sort of book set, that's four books that are going to come out um, in 2023. Um, first released to Kickstarter and then released publicly after that made $41.7 million on Kickstarter, uh, which is insanity. And with add-ons, because they had other add-ons that you could add on afterwards too, it was even more than that, uh, which is just an insane amount of money. <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I, prior to Kickstarter, I'm sure that would have all gone to a publisher. Oh, yeah. No, a thousand percent, right? Fascinating. Uh, any final thoughts on Tainted Grail, Kings of Ruin? I think we've covered a lot, so I mm-hmm. think we can leave it as is. <laughs> Next up, we are going to a Burns game, The Queen's Dilemma, uh, published by Aiello. I think so. Yes, and Horrible Guild, designed by Hjalmar Hach. That's a fun one. And Lorenzo Silva. The theme is the Game of Thrones Small Council, the board game. It's a negotiation legacy game. Burns, how on earth do we explain this thing so that people can understand it yeah so it this is the sequel to a game that came out in 2019 i believe which is the king's dilemma and so this takes place a hundred years after that and you're basically i think playing as like the princess of the king from the first game and who is like the descendant of that and the things that have happened with this this uh fictional um kingdom uh, like what sort of happened from like the main story of the first game, you're, you're sort of trying to play out and work your way through that. But basically how it is, is you play, I think it's three to six players and you are each representing a family, right? And you're all on the small council of the king. So there will be a dilemma that will come up. And then as a group, you need to decide how to resolve that dilemma. How are you going to basically tell the king to act? And so you are all trying to come up with what the decision is. Now, each of you are coming from these families that have these other needs. So some of you are maybe kind of like a part of one guild or whatever. Like you're a merchant or you're tied to a criminal organization. Exactly. And so you're trying to fulfill what's going to do the best for that. 
But you also want the king to somewhat succeed for the most part because you don't want like the kingdom to get taken over, overrun, the king to get deposed, and then you'll all be out of the job because this is like the most power you could possibly have is to be sort of tied to the king, right? And so it's all about like you're negotiating with each other to try to figure out how to do, like what to do. You have like finances that you can kind of bid to say that, oh, I need, I'm going to put this much money towards this happening or whatever, or this many resources towards this. Um, And so, yeah, I've had the game for a while and I've really wanted to play it. And so, but the Queen's Dilemma then is kind of like a 2.0 version of that game. So they've kind of taken what they learned from that and added the way that it sounds. They've added a lot more like legacy elements to it. So some things that you can unlock as you're playing through the game that help to enrich or change the game more before it was a lot more so like the decisions that you make kind of sort of start you down a path and then you can try to like wiggle your way through these other paths based on the decisions that the council ends up making uh, for the king and then everything kind of comes to a conclusion depending upon where everything navigated from that and I think they're trying to change some of that up a little bit with uh, the second one and so that was the thing that that interests me most I think and, and we're seeing it a lot with Frosthaven, which we talked about two years ago, <laughs> I think. And, uh, you know, the first time people make a game of a type, right? Like that's, you know, it, it'll catch on. People like it. People think it's really great. But then like that sort of revision of that, what is that next version of that usually takes things up to like that next notch that like maybe makes it even better or a greater game than what the initial one was. And I think, I think there is something to be said for you learn a lot from thousands of people playing your game. Right. And even if you play test a bunch, you know, even if you play test tens of thousands of time, you're not necessarily going to get a full understanding as you do by just sending something out to the great unknown and, and having them like, and, and having them sort of, troubleshoot all these things and ask about all these things about your game. And then that helps to inform like decisions that you make with the next one and and what you can do with that. And so I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And that's one of the big things that intrigued me about the queen's dilemma. The biggest thing was for me and why I didn't back it was just, I haven't started the first game yet. Like I'd love to get a group together to go through it and play it. But because of that, like I wasn't going to back this and the price was quite a bit more. So if I were to give you the Queen's Dilemma as a Christmas gift, happy holiday, Burns. <laughs> like, would you play the King's Dilemma and then play the Queen's Dilemma, or would you take the King's Dilemma and sell it to me on Facebook Marketplace? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I know you, so I wouldn't have to use Facebook Marketplace to sell it to you. We'd just, uh, you know, send me a Venmo, and, and, and we'd make that happen. But uh, um, I would probably still want to play the King's Dilemma first because – because you experience every part of everything. Well, there is that. There is that aspect of it. But I think the other thing about it is, is if you see, if you're playing like the game system and it's been revised and it's been improved, going back to that initial one always like concerns me as to like, oh, okay, I'm not going to enjoy it because it's like, oh, like I, this works so much better in the second game, but we're just going to suck it up and go through it with this one. It's similar, but worse. Yeah. And so I think that would be the thing that I would be concerned with. And so like my main goal is to try to play the King's Dilemma 
before the Queen's Dilemma comes out at retail in like a year, year and a quarter, whatever it might be, uh, and then have an idea. Because I didn't, I didn't kickstart the, I, I didn't notice the game until after it was already out on retail, the King's Dilemma, and so I just bought that on, I, I just bought that, uh, like I think it was at Miniature Market or something like that. Um, so I would be fine with buying the Queen's Dilemma afterwards. There, there was some really good Kickstarter exclusives. Um, and as well as some like exclusives that you could buy for the King's Dilemma too, um, that might be available at retail afterwards uh, to some extent that I'd maybe be interested in picking up. But um, and we're talking about the Queen's yes. Dilemma. Is this a fully cooperative game or is it a cooperative game? So it, it, I think is it's, there a winner? Oh, that is a, actually that's a good question. I, I I think there is a winner in that whoever ends up like succeeding the most towards your goal by the end wins. But I think it's also one of those things where if the King fails, you all lose. Right. So I think it's like cooperative in the sense that you have to do well enough so that like you achieve your goal and everybody doesn't lose because of it. Um, it doesn't sound super Tom friendly. <laughs> Adam, you love a big heavy narrative in a game. Are you interested in this mostly cooperative experience where you have to bring everyone together and there's a lot of negotiation at the table. Yeah. So I feel like this, I feel like the queen's dilemma has brought a lot more attention to it, but I feel like the king's dilemma was definitely one of those like hidden gems. It had it kind of like cult following Mm -hmm. of people who played through it. It sounds like it's a great experience. Um, I'm, I'm definitely one not to say like no to a board game experience, (laughs) but you know, with with my current backlog, this wouldn't be towards the top of my list. Um, I, I do like narrative, but I, I don't like politics, as I said it earlier. So I don't know if I want to play like a politic legacy game, to be honest with you. But no, if, if I had the opportunity and I had the time for it, I would 100% jump into this. Um, just in, with current current lists, current stacks of, you know, shelf of shame, um, you know, it, it, it falls down a little bit for me. But... I think it would be very interesting playing this with my core group of friends because we're a very deceitful uh, group, so it would be interesting to see how we all came together with it. Well, if it makes you feel better, the mechanisms on Board Game Geek say bribery, legacy game, storytelling, trader game, and voting. So I think you're covered, Tom. <laughs> and I like a game where I can just be my full Tom self and like be as treacherous as I want to be without trader being like, assigned trader, trader, trader game. Trader game. Well... Well, until that like ruins the game experience for you, like it did with Battlestar Galactica now, right? Yeah, well, I, I don't like a game where there's assigned hidden traders because people always think it's me, even though statistically it can't be me every single time. But then if there's a game where there's unassigned traders and you just have the choice to be a trader, don't th- don't you think people would just auto-assign auto you as the trader? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe, probably. All right, well, cross the uh, Queen's <laughs> Dilemma off the list. Friends, anything else you want to say about the Queen's Dilemma before we move on? No, I, I just, it's, the, the game mechanics and how it works has just always been really interesting to me because it, it plays a lot different than anything else. Like, you're not rolling dice, you're not doing anything. It really is just about the people around the table and trying to figure out how you're going to handle that, as well as you personally balancing the, de- the decision between your own personal benefits and the benefits of the kingdom, right? And, and I, I really am interested to see how that would play out on the table and if that would be fun for everyone to experience around the table because it's a game mechanic that I think is super interesting to me. 
I agree. And we should also probably talk about who this game is for. This is yeah. this is a game that you can't bring new board gamers into, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone has to be invested, everyone has to play their role, and everyone has to be savvy enough to push for their own victory conditions. I think so. Like I, I actually think this would be one of those things where if you have so okay, say you have people that really like um war games or something like that, this probably isn't the type of game for them. Like they still might like it. But I really want to stab Patrick. <laughs> you have though people that have done a lot of like role playing or something like that, and they have this sort of character that they can envelop and then play as that through the board game. Like I don't think the game itself is heavy. It's really just about getting into the mindset and buying into how you're supposed to play the game in order to get the most out of it. And I think that's what's more important than whether you're like savvy with board games or, or or not. It's more so just are you willing to play into how the game wants you to play? Now you need to be invested. Yeah. That's the yeah. point that I was pushing at. Yep. And it's it's one of those things also where, you know, it's a it's it's a it's a campaign size legacy game, 20, 30, 40 hours. So it's like trying to get a group of people together for multiple sessions, keep that same semblance of people together there are i believe rules in the game so that you can add on somebody in a different house if they need to like fill in or whatever but it it just it really feels like it's so hard especially with the pandemic happening shortly after i got the first game it's so hard to try to find that time to get a group of people together to play that because there's always all these other things that kind of take precedence over it yeah all your friends are having babies well there is that too yes uh, that was the queen's dilemma the babies are the real hidden traitors yeah they're, <laughs> I'm kidding, they're ruining I'm kidding. everything for all of us <laughs> fun ruiners next up we discuss unsettled by publisher orange nebula this game is designed by tom matson and mark needlinger the theme is No Man's Sky plus Apollo 13. It has a Board Game Geek rating of 8.1. Adam, you put this game up. Can you tell us more about the setting for Unsettled and why you're excited for this game? Yeah, so I guess kind of like before I jump into Unsettled, I'm going to have a small segue just about Orange Nebula itself. So Orange Nebula is a smaller company, smaller publisher. They had a game they released prior to this, which is called Vindication. And Joe's played with this with me, and it was a crowdfunded game. And I went in on it all in, and it's a fantastic experience. Mm. So it's like a one-off game. It actually goes pretty quick. Like The first couple times we played it, it took a little bit longer. And then I want to say our third game lasted 30 minutes yeah. because we all kind of knew what was going on. And it's the, like this really cool like module swapping game. So the replayability is very high. Like core concept, you could you could learn the main game pretty quickly and then like you could play it like honestly, the main game you could probably zip through in 20 minutes if you just wanted to play that one. But you can add in all these like cool modules that like change how the game interacts with you. Um and basically the premise of the game is you're all kind of scum and and the the worst people in the world and you're trying to vindicate yourself so you're basically turning cubes of you know potential into better things um it's a very euro style game Mm -hmm. um but it's a really cool experience so they took that they had i think three kickstarters for that game alone because they had the original kickstarter it was great then they did like a 1.5 kind of they added a small expansion but the the true thing was is they took feedback from the community and and updated it and then they did that again with the the newest one that i'm actually waiting for um actually on vindication as well from this company but they really 
care for their game. And I think the the companies that listen to that feedback from the players, like you can play test a bunch, but once you release it to the nerds, the nerds will find the problems mm-hmm. and, and they'll, they'll let you know. About it. Yeah. And, and if you listen, you can get some of the best games from that experience. So they came out with unsettled and this was probably one of my most researched him and Hod games I had on <laughs> Kickstarter and I ended up not backing the original campaign and the original campaign hit and it blew up. Like people were like, this is an awesome experience. So it's, it kind of came in an era where campaign games were huge and this was a non campaign game. This is like one-off scenarios. And then they have at this point, they're going to have like close to 10 planets that you can do different scenarios in um, very much like tainted grail. You play through a planet, but your objective might change on that planet. So you might be looking for different things, which opens up kind of different corridors for what you're looking for and exploring. Um, they have a great tagline for this game too. The tagline is space is hard. Don't die. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're very, they're a very interesting group of people, but basically this is probably my biggest no back. I regret not backing on the original campaign to the point of I emailed the company asking if they had extra copies for sale. I tried reaching out. They said, oh, we might have a, like a couple base games on their website. I waited for it, watched it. And of course, like it never seemed to come, even though they said it was going to come. And then I submitted another ticket to them and said, hey, like I was looking for this. I never saw anything. I was signed up for emails. And they're like, well, we're not releasing anything because there's a new Kickstarter campaign coming. So I got very excited again. And I'm like, I'm not letting this pass me by this time because I've heard it's great. And I I didn't want to miss out on on that experience, especially knowing that I have another game that I, I dearly love from them. And it's a smaller company. So I, I like to support those if I can. So I backed it. So that's kind of the segue I want to talk about was just the company itself. I really wanted to like... They're, they're an awesome company that are making awesome games, and I regret not backing it. So now, on what Unsettled is, as you said, the tagline's pretty interesting. It's a cooperative survival game of basically planet exploration. Um, from their board game geek blurb, I just want to read, because I think this is also super entertaining. They say, each time you play, you'll have a different combination of survival tasks to complete, and the things you discover will be different as well. So that kind of comes into the, we might have a different thing on the planet again. Mm -hmm. Um, So while you always start out knowing what your problem is, you need to solve, or the problem is you need to solve. You have no idea how you're going to use the world before you to do so, or what the world is going to do to you while you try. So is this this app-based, or is it like different cards get shuffled in that cause it to do these different things? So every planet has its own box. So basically every planet contains all of its bad things, Mm -hmm. not app based at all. So this is all within the board game itself. Okay. So basically you pull out all your character trays and then the characters have different quirks as well. So maybe as one character gets more stressed, they have this quirk that comes out if you hit a certain stress level. Or if, if you start to get hurt this much, maybe, you know, you're more of an alpha male guy. So they're going to have like adrenaline boosts as they're getting hurt. Like, so every character has their quirks and, I kind of bought this game thinking, oh, this will be cool to play solo. But the feedback is play it with friends because the experience is so cool. Like you can't have someone quarterback you because everyone's so different with their characters that you have to really be that character. And then you're approaching these scenarios that like, so there's no combat in the game. So like if you're looking for combat, this is definitely not a game for you. (laughs) This is like a... We have a problem with try like, you know, Boy Scout camp in the stars type thing, you know, and and 
they just say the experience of having to explore that planet and like getting in these situations with friends is just amazing. And, and I did a lot of research on it, but I also like, I didn't read any of their spoiler things. So they had kind of these sections of like, okay, here's spoilers. So if you want to learn about this planet or watch this video, we're going to say stuff, but it's going to reveal stuff. I avoided all that because I want every piece raw, shocking, mm -hmm. just especially like, I'm so glad I chose to do that, especially with Tainted Grail, like yeah. how I've been experiencing that. I'm realizing more and more as I play some of these games more in depth how amazing the creative minds behind these games are. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to spoil anything. But so I haven't looked like super into it, but like it just seems super cool to have, you know, every character different. And then you're like, what planet do we want to explore today? So you pull out your planet, you pull out your problem and, and you see what you can person do. Have the, the whole group goes to explore the same planet or can yep. some people go to one and other people go to a different one? No, nope, but it's all one planet you're okay. going to. So like, and it's one off encounters too. So like encounters don't really string together. Okay. And that was a big thing too. People are like, Oh, can you make it a campaign game? And origin Nebula was like, no, this is not meant to be a campaign yeah. game. So they didn't, you know, they, they were very upfront in the second Kickstarter campaign saying, we're not making this a campaign. It's going to stay what it is. And we're just adding more planets we're adding more weirdness. We're adding, okay. you know, I guess not weirdness with a Y, uh -huh. like other things. <laughs> but yeah. And and I guess um, for me, I'm really discovering this like last year. I've always been a sci-fi guy, but I've I've definitely heavily leaned and I, I think to more of the sci-fi survival games more and more mm -hmm. and more over the fantasy things. I just I really I like that setting of being out in space, kind of like the last frontier per se. Uh -huh. Right. You know, like. It, it just intrigues me, I guess. I guess I grew up in the wrong era and maybe <laughs> would have been like super intrigued by the, you know, space race. But um, I find games like this just super intriguing with the, the whole space survival. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It sounds like Patrick's dreams because like he has yeah. these dreams where everyone is dying. And he's frantically trying <laughs> to save them. Though there might not be enough. Maybe there will be aliens. I don't know if there's xenomorphs in this game, but there well, might not be enough of those for him. If they are, you're hugging or something. No combat. <laughs> 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 or they're just yeah. probing you. Yeah, it's a fascinating premise for a game. Who do you think this game is for? Who is really going to resonate with Unsettled? Definitely people. Well, you have to be okay with no combat, right? And and I think it's I really feel like that rules out a wide swath of. The you would think, and, and I think that's why maybe it's definitely a game that's like maybe gained popularity through the second campaign because they're like, yeah, it's it's combatless. Mm -hmm. But people then are like, yeah, but the experience is really good. So right. I, I think if you want to basically like critically think and solve, but have like crazy sci-fi things happen to you, mm -hmm. it's a great like group puzzle solving game. Bernsey, do you think that combat is chucking dice and killing people or do you view it more as like a problem solving exercise? Well, so I was just going to say like, Part of me was thinking, it sounds similar-ish to some extent to like the Outer Wilds or like the experience <laughs> with the Outer Wilds, the video game. Um, that was the best game we played on Game Pass last year, no matter what you guys think. Disagree with my whole heart of hearts, but proceed. <laughs> but uh, so combat is a form of conflict, right? So I think anything needs some form of conflict in order to get through it, whether that's through combat, like traditional combat mechanisms that are in the game. Uh, or in more many games, or if it's through some other means to resolve that conflict, right? So as long as there's conflict, which it sounds like there's a wide variety and lots of different sort of options or chances of different types of conflict to be happening, 
Um, I think there's still going to be lots of opportunities to interact with it, figure out how to how to solve it or or get beat by it, I would guess. And so I, I think it still sounds super intriguing. And I the fact of like the unknown and not really knowing for sure um, what you're going to be up against, I think makes a big difference, right? And, and assists with things a lot. So it's more an exercise of adaptability rather than gearing yourself up for this big confrontation correct right Right. yeah and i guess that that just pulls me in a direction of it feels different from i mean i love dice chucking Mm -hmm. like i like i'm one of those people that will never say oh that's too random like (laughs) when it comes to throwing dice i mean i love dice mitigation mechanics um but that was one that almost made the list that we're going to talk about later yeah (laughs) um but like this just is like okay this is different this is from a company i love i think i need this in my collection it it strikes a theme i love and it's just kind of like a cool experience that i can then provide for friends that it's like okay you don't maybe want to fight or whatever but let's let's try to do this together and and i find cooperative games to be also great gateways to really open people's eyes and like board games are more than you know, Monopoly and Dominoes and, mm-hmm. and those are all great if that's what you're doing. I'm not like bashing that in any way, but like there's some there's some awesome creative minds behind mm-hmm. these games and people don't know the world that board games can kind of provide. Just like books. If you don't read books, you don't find some of these cool, right. awesome lands that are only dreamt of. Well and, like Pats. And like you said too, I think one of the things that we're always looking for, I think just with like our collection of things, right. Is something that stands out or that's different from it. So, so having something that's going to be a change of pace from all the other like games that we have is something that can be super appealing. Um, like there was a time period where I was only playing like me and one other person. So it's like, I need more two player games like that work really well as two player games, not like two to six. You can still have fun with it at two, but it's really much better if you have three, four, five, or six, you know? Yeah. Use these six cardboard tokens to block off an eighth of the map. (laughs) Right. Right. And then you can't use this stack of cards. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the games where it's like, well, you can play with two players, but you got to play like the two other players also. Right. In order to go through it. Yep. Um, which can, which can sometimes be a lot. Um, so I think, I think that's having something that's unique and different. Um, I think is beneficial. Like the freaking board game. Well, that was Unsettled by Orange Nebula. Next, we discuss Heroes of Might and Magic 3, the board game. Yes. Published by Archon Studio, designed by Kemo Bielkowski and Jacob Oka Olekzik. Jacob Olekzik. Yeah, yeah that, that one's a rough one. Uh, this game is a board game version of the video game. It is an exploration strategy game with a board game geek rating of 7.2. Bernsey, this is one you wanted to talk about. Yes. Can you set the stage for Heroes of Might and Magic 3 and why you're excited for it? Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of the video game. And then Heroes of Might and Magic 3 was a computer game that came out. Oh, 30 years ago. I was going to say it was in the early 90s, I believe. 91, 92, 93, somewhere through there. Yeah, 30 years ago. Yeah, and it it, it it's it's a, it's a, it's a game of its time, but it's still like every time I go back to it and it could definitely be nostalgia goggles. Um I really enjoy the game. So basically what it is is you play as a hero, right? Um and then you're just roaming around finding things and then on the same same time you're building up uh, basically your civilization and the towns that you own 
kind of with your kingdom and then you hire new heroes and you're sort of then able to go out through the map a lot more. So there's lots of exploration elements. There's lots of sort of building up your heroes and developing your heroes and then building your army so that you can fight these like larger scale battles against either these competing armies or these hordes of monsters that are kind of growing in the environment. And um, so one of the things that was really interesting to me about the board game is the fact that they were kind of capturing all of those aspects of the game kind of in the in in the actual tabletop representation of it. And so it has like heroes that were pulled from the game. Um, I believe, though, in this game, you only ever play as your one hero. Um, and then if you're playing with other people, then you're all sort of kind of going around at the same time throughout this different area. And then you sort of discover tiles that then open up new areas to you um, and then have more resources to gather there, new cities that you can take over. Um, and then eventually I think you meet up with your opposing factions and, and we'll then you fight slaughter wars. them mercilessly. Yeah, and try to slaughter them as mercilessly as possible. All right, um, I'm in. And so that was a lot of the things that like were intriguing to me about this game and what were really intriguing to me about the video game. And, you know, I know, I know you say like old games are old. They're, they're, they're not worth like any time. I would really like encourage anyone to go back and play uh, Heroes of Might and Magic 3. I believe it's on Steam. I think I own it on Steam. Um, otherwise, it's for sure on GOG. Um, and I, I, I highly recommend going back and giving that a whirl just so that you can understand how it works. Um, and so the thing, though, <laughs> I feel like I'm always bringing, like, the negatives to this conversation. <gasps> oh, and, no, I got a whole lot for this one, actually. And, and, and one of the reasons why one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this game up was because this last year, and I know there's been a lot of them in, in recent years, this last year seemed like there was a lot of video game board games kind of mm -hmm. going through Kickstarter. So there was, like, Slay the Spire, um, which, I mean, the video game seemed like it was made from like a board game. So it would make sense that you could make a board game version of this deck building combat game where you're trying to like make your way through to the top of this tier, um, in order to win the game. Um, and then there was a last of us board game that came out more or that was, mm -hmm. um, on Kickstarter more recently. Um, and it's all about like these, you know, clicker miniatures and all this stuff and you're exploring and, and so on and so forth. Um, but for some reason, the Heroes Might Magic game, like, was the one that I was closest to pulling the trigger on, mostly because of how I was tied back to the original game. the The concerns I had with the Kickstarter were, um, it. So the biggest thing, or the biggest thing that I remember from the video game, is you have these different types of troops, right? And then you end up fighting these grid based, hex based battles against. Uh, the opposing army. And basically you all start on one side of the screen and the enemies on the other side of the screen. And then you choose kind of turn-based to move different troops towards each other. Some of them have ranged attacks so they can attack like pretty early on. Some, some of them you need to get like up to each other and the whole, like a lot of like the main game that you're playing other than exploring is like marching these troops towards each other and trying to slaughter whatever you're fighting against. And that whole aspect was just an add-on for the game. And the other aspect of it, what you were doing if you didn't get that, like, and it was like another like $50, $60 more to get that aspect of the game. And the other aspect of it, like, just seemed like it just like, 
just it made it such a smaller part of the game and it didn't seem like right to me. So that's one thing that kind of threw me off. And there were lots of other like weird like levels and goals for it that were just just seemed like I couldn't really figure out what like was the level I wanted to back it at. And in order to back it at higher levels, you have to get the miniatures. And it's like, I've kind of gotten to the point with a lot of games that it's like, I don't give a squat about the miniatures. I just want to play the game. I'd much rather have it be in a smaller box so that I can fit it on my shelf as opposed to having to have like two boxes of miniatures for the rest of the game. Um, And so those were like the main reasons that pulled me away from it. But I was still like this close, this close from backing it. It's a lot easier process for me. I go to the source. I say, oh, look, game. I pick up the game. I go to the counter. They say it costs this. I'm like, all right, here's my card. Peace out, homie. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. It is true. But then they always try to get you on the FOMO, right? You know, and you don't want to be like Adam with Unsettled and just be the Mo, the missing out. You want to, you want to, you want to have it, you know, so. The only game where I've actually felt like I've missed out from crowdfunding it was Marvel Dice Throne. Yeah. Because your premium components are sweet in that game. Uh, Adam, you uh, you excited for Heroes of Might and Magic 3 or what? Nope. Um, (laughs) Hard pass from Adam Wilson. Nothing against Heroes of Might and Magic. It sounds like you hate it with a burning, fiery passion. Actually... Archon Studios has left is like in my list one of the worst Kickstarter experiences I've ever had. Fascinating. What, um, what's your history with it? So I I am a huge MOBA player, or used to be at least. Um, so MOBA is the yep. mobile arena, kind of like Dota, Dota Two, yep. Heroes of New Earth, which was sent to the Heroes, worst tent recently. Oh, yeah, in June they officially retired the servers, but <laughs> that that game I did like worldwide tournaments would place in like the top five hundred. I was a little addicted to it. Um, How many thousands of hours? Way too many. Way <laughs> too like More thousands of hours like of recorded official matches. Not even like screwing off with my friends or doing like unofficial like fun stuff or or mid wars as it was called and all these other things like thousands of like recorded matches. <laughs> so huge MOBA draw. They're one of the first studios that tried to make a MOBA style board game. And, and I they, think we talked about this last year and you were really excited for your MOBA board games. I there's a lot coming out and so far of course Chip Theory has like the one that I've liked the most that's close. That's Cloudspire? Cloudspire, yeah. yeah like they have the whole attention. creep mechanic that's super cool. I know Joe's played like a, we played a cooperative actually yeah. scenario. You can do two player cooperative scenarios against two AI opponents, which is fun because mm-hmm. it's a good way to teach someone the game. Yeah. Um but Archon like they have these pretty minis and I was a big mini painter cuz I I I guess at this point I should say I used to do war gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't done it for a couple of years now, basically since COVID. So sadly that's like three years, four years now. But so I was like, Oh, I'm going to paint up all these minis. I'm going to have this awesome MOBA game. I was super thrilled for it. I got the game. The cardboard components feel like just heavy cardstock paper, not even cardboard, super cheap. The minis look great as promised. Mm-hmm. And the game had so many holes, like, so many rules holes so i've always been hesitant and i know like they've gotten better i've heard but they still like a couple of their games after even that one have not had great reputations i sense that you're intentionally not mentioning the name of the game to not dump on gosh it's called reload so their original game was called load 
And I'd have to even look. It's like League of Ancient Defenders. There we go. See, I remembered it. Nice. So it was Just called like playing off of like all of the yeah, the, like uh, yeah, League of Dota Ancient Defenders yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, all yeah, of the heroes much. of New Earth. Yeah. yeah. No. So like I like I sold the game and I was. But how much do you think you had to pay for? backing it like how much was your investment in this game i mean i went all in i i even went with like the premium alt minis so that was like probably like 200 bucks i mean i went like close to 500 dollars all in and this was years ago 2016 maybe i should look up to see what it was but it was like it was it was so it was like a huge investment and i was so heartbroken for it to be how do you move on from something like that? Like if I spent $500 say on my PlayStation and I hated it with a burning fiery passion, like that would bug me for years. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, that's why, that's why I hesitate. That's why it's like, I see Archon studio on a campaign page and I'm like, cool. Don't have to worry about that one. (laughs) And, and the sad thing is, is like heroes of might magic is my kind of video game. So it's like, it, it was hard to see that. And I think I even like, plugged in the discord when someone posted you probably you birds uh-huh. was like oh look at this coming out I'm like yeah it's gonna be crap because uh-huh. it's from archon yeah. so archon is is a miniature painting studio at its heart so and like miniature sculpting like they make beautiful miniatures so i will give credit where credit is due the problem is they need a lot stronger designers mm-hmm. and they need to like listen to the feedback they don't so like at least in my opinion stuff's maybe changed but for me to get Archon back on a good pace with me, I would have to play someone else's Archon game and have a good experience with it. And even then, do you think you would purchase that game if you truly loved it? Like, say Burns ends up getting Heroes of Might and Magic 3 and you play it with him and you love it. Do you see yourself ever buying it or was that stove too hot? Like, like if no, if if I loved it and was like, oh my gosh, this is a top 10 game of mine or even like, I mean, realistically, a top 100 game of uh-huh. mine because it would make yeah. the collection then. Um <laughs> I think I was trying to keep it under 250 through COVID because I was just getting all these campaigns in and not being able to play anything. So it's hard to like turn out my collection like I try to because, I mean, realistically, if you think about how many days are in a year and if you have 300 and some board games, there's no way in heck you're playing those. And and with how many lifestyle games that have been coming out that Mm -hmm. I am a fool that I've backed that many, (laughs) um, I just don't have the time. But I would definitely try it, but I think one of the things he pulled on that was a that's a huge red flag in my opinion for a lot of campaigns. And if I see this, I back out because I believe uh, Total War Rome was out by another company, and they did the same thing. They're like, "Oh, we have this really easy battle mechanic, but if you want a battle mechanic like the video game, this is a sixty dollar add on." When I see stuff like that, yeah. that's a huge red flag to me personally, yep. and I feel like you don't you haven't invested the time for that to work. So, like, another red flag for that is, like, oh, we're going to have the solo mode a stretch goal, or we're going to have the solo mode an add-on. It's like, okay, so, to me, that's a red flag as well. Like, these, like, here's a core game concept in 2022. Like, you have to have solo modes, in my opinion, basically. I mean, you don't have to, but a lot of games have realized the solo community is pretty big. Um, it's, but it's, that's where the industry has gone, right? Right. So. For sure. For sure. Oh, there's a huge solo like aspect to the industry. So, so to have key, like in my opinion, key components to a game or mechanics to a game be add-ons, the game is not complete. And if the game's not complete in that aspect of, you can't even, you know, meet the basic criteria for a C, the game's probably a D. So that's kind of how I approach it. But 
if Burns backs Heroes of Might and Magic, I'll give it a shot. I didn't but, back it, so it would be buying it after the fact. But right. I probably won't be, but... Not trying to, like, sh- rain on anyone's no, parade, no. but... I mean, I was already raining on my parade, <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> you just helped to make me feel better about my but, decision yeah, to avoid. Yeah. And I did remember you saying them before as well. Yeah. So I do remember that there was those that negative experience that you had with them. And we don't need to be all sunshine and roses here. I mean, no. this is a game that is being crowdfunded. People could listen to this and have a choice on whether or not to back Heroes of Might and Magic 3. I think it's absolutely fair to talk about the right. past missteps of the publisher. And if you're buying board games at that price, you want them to be good quality fun experiences. If I paid $500 for a board game, I better love that zombie for the rest of my life. Right, right. So, so yeah, I just, like I said, bad taste in the mouth that I'm having a hard time moving past. So Heroes of Might and Magic 3, back it or don't, based on our discussion. <laughs> Adam, you were excited to talk about Batman Gotham City Chronicles Season 3, published by Monolith, designed by Frederick Henry. The theme for this one I succinctly wrote as Batman Skin for Conan the Barbarian. Yes. It so asymmetrical game, one villain versus the heroes. It's got a board game geek rating of 7.7. Why are you excited for Batman Gotham City Chronicles Season yep. 3? So Batman is my favorite superhero. So gotta gotta love just a rich man who makes it work, right? So <laughs> they say money money isn't yes. everything, but man, so money cer- certainly helps. Uh, no, I've I've always I've like growing up, I watched Batman the animated series. Um, I had to actually buy that board game just out of nostalgia. I got the core game and the expansion, so I could have Freeze and Poison Ivy and stuff like that. So my man cave is done in like actual like commissioned Batman art. Um, and hopefully one piece that was given to you at our Outsiders Overrated Patreon appreciation party. Oh, there! Don't worry, the too many bones uh, hang up is there too. Oh, is that what right. you're talking we about? Too many bones. Yeah, I yeah. thought That we had talked about doing a Batman. Yeah, party. no, but that one's actually next to my first uh, Father's Day. Like it's next to my Aww. work desk, so it's it's in a very important spot, right next to Emily. So yeah, Emily and Phoenix are hanging out in the the man cave. But the other art is done by. Uh, sadly he's passed on but actually someone I met through a, a board game convention and he did a lot of like the Marvel zombie original art he is like the original creator of like the dark side of Oz which kind of like flips the whole Wizard of Oz theme on its head where the Wicked Witch was actually good and the reason why she had so many flying monkeys is because they were being abused by the previous owner and she brought them in to individualize them and Dorothy's actually mean and it's kind of like this cool like eccentric stuff but the the original connection between me and this man was I was a poor college kid I couldn't afford his art and he had a Joker painting that for part of it used an actual knife to paint it really? so it's like it's there's a cool story behind it I can't even put glass over it because of like the raised like paint mm-hmm. on it and so that's in my man cave and that kind of started that relationship and every year I bought more and more and more um, and I think the the culmination of my collection from that family. Um, the Castillo family is when Tommy sadly passed away, which was actually very hard. My mom and I flew down to Florida just like to meet an art, like he's an artist. I met at a convention and I flew down to see him before he passed. Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of one of those like odd, like just like soul connections you have with a human being. Right. Like Um, Burns and I have. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Something like that. (laughs) Um, but But there's just like a lot of moments and and kind of almost like a father figure to me and like a very like I don't have like I have a great dad, but just like someone who really imprinted me on a lot of like just life lessons that we we had moments at a Mm -hmm. board game convention, the the things you find. Right. So 
the ultimate culmination of that is after he passed on Sammy, his wife, drew me a Harley Quinn original. So I have my original Joker from him with his wife drawing me a Harley Quinn picture. So that's I have cool. those in my my man cave. So that's a total tangent from the board game. Uh, little, little story about Adam there. So I guess you get to you get to know a little bit more about me now. But yeah, so yeah, Bat- Batman is huge in my life. That's Did, an amazing story, by the way. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. So Batman Gotham City Chronicles. Back onto the topic of board games. Um, so I've always like I love my deep strategy stuff. Batman Gotham, Gotham City Chronicles seems to be the most in-depth Batman board game there is. The problem is it's a skirmish-based game. And sadly, unless you're going to get a group together that also super loves Batman, it's going to be hard to have that asymmetrical one villain versus a group of heroes. Because you have to choose your loadout. So it's it's scenario-based. There's not like... I actually there might be a campaign module now I just kind of like said hey add everything to the cart and then you know purchased it and cried at my credit card bill for a month and then moved on from that but um the the big thing with season three is it they went back and created solo content and cooperative content for all of season one all of season two and heavily incorporated into season three and they didn't like that's all they're adding to the board game. So they're not going back and changing or adding more, like a whole bunch of more expansions. It's like, we're literally adding the solo and the co-op content and then making sure everything is good. So one thing that I think monolith did an awesome job. So like I said, it's a very complicated game. So all the scenarios you have are very, you know, Batman esque style. Like, Oh, the, the scarecrow is trying to like gas something and mm-hmm. you know, the utilities of Gotham. So we have to go into this gas chamber, whatever waterworks, whatever he's doing type scenario. And all their maps have like levels and, and like obstacles that block line of sight. And like I said, you're like loading out your character. And basically what they've done then is they've created an AI um, and that can run the bad guy, the villains themselves. And why I'm not concerned about that. Cause I just mentioned uh-huh, how I yeah. don't like that as an add on. Yeah. It like they went into it with the intent of, we are making this accessible for this group of community and the person they have on it. So his name is Paul Grogan and he runs gaming oh, rules. Yeah. yeah. He's super thorough mm-hmm. and he's, su- and I watched all of his playthroughs for Batman and I'm like, this looks like a super fun experience because he did a solo and a co-op scenario that you could watch how it worked. And to me, it's like they're doing it right. Mm-hmm. If they're doing it away, you're basically adding on, but they're not changing content from the first two seasons, which is the original skirmish game. One thing, like I was trying to say, I guess, is they have these maps that are very intricate. And, and one thing that I've always found interesting in skirmish games like that, you have the debate of, well, my guy can see your tile. Well, I don't know. The rule says this, and it's kind of gray. Mm-hmm. They made an app that you can download that has every single map in their game, and you click on the tile your hero or villain is on, and it will show you line of sight, line of sight. This guy has covered this, and it shows you all the lines. So it, it completely eliminates that, and, and they're like, this is what we intended this tile to be. So that way you know that they've really kind of vetted yeah. the, the 
the tactical aspect, which is what intrigues me about this game, is I want a tactical Batman game where it's like, do I choose the batterings or do I choose the grappling hook? And how do I want to outload Batman? And they have like variations of Batman. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I'm an animated series Batman from the 90s because that's what I watched growing up as a kid, you know, corrupting me. I didn't watch any of this like educational stuff. I watched <laughs> the real educational stuff. I watched Batman taking down bad guys. Um <laughs> And it's like, or maybe, you know, you're a kid from the early 2000s. I'm a Batman Beyond guy. Well, they have a Batman Beyond version. So the rule is you can't take more than one Batman, but they might have 10 variations of Batman throughout all the different series. Adam West Batman? I think they might even have an Adam West Batman. I mean, they Pow. they deep dive into <laughs> all of the different, like, Batmans and different variations of even, like, Harley Quinn and things like that. So it's it's super cool, and that's where it got expensive was season two. They came out with this just this, like, huge pack of, vari- like, hero variations because, I mean, ultimately – Season one, they had a great concept of a core game that they had everything you really needed there. And it's like, well, why don't we just create new scenarios with new bad guys that you can or plug in or, or new heroes, you know, so you can take Nightwing or whatever. And, and each scenario kind of like doesn't necessarily pigeonhole you, but the, the designated scenarios say, OK, choose from this list of heroes. Um, but. It, it, I don't know. It just seems super cool. And it's kind of finally, I'm hoping my Batman game that <laughs> I finally get to have that's tactical that I can bring Joe or Tom in for one playthrough and be like, okay, we're going to co-oply take out freeze, you know, and I want to play more than once. <laughs> okay. Well, you can take out freeze and Joker. Everybody so it's one, <laughs> but, but yeah, but it's, it, but it's hard to have almost like a lifestyle skirmish game that you own. That's something like, okay, Burns, come on over, but I'm playing the villain. You and Tom, who are, this is your first time playing, have to play the heroes. Uh And then I just wipe the floor with you. (laughs) Like, I mean, that'd be really mean to do. Like, you know, if someone were teaching you like viticulture and then you just wipe the floor of them. Um, Dark souls of winemaking. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, the good news on that one, small update for you, Tom, did you know they released a co-op expansion for viticulture? No, I had no idea. I purchased it just in case Casey (laughs) like wants to, to relive a better experience or anyone out there that I just decided that we were ending Viticulture the game that day. Um, but yeah. Well, I have an anecdote. Um, I played the Kodan game a couple of times with Dunham. Dunham has brought it over. And uh, one time, Phoenix decided to play with us. And Adam was all excited to have her play as the Valkyrie character because it was an expansion that he had just gotten. Mm-hmm. And he focused 100% of his efforts on killing Phoenix. <laughs> and so like ultimately we won the good guys won but Phoenix just had a terrible experience because he literally focused every baddie and every attack on her yeah see sometimes when you are ter- when you're teaching a game you have to you have to take one for the team right and so like that's why when I could have killed Phoenix like right away when we were playing last Friday and it was just like no I- I'm gonna let this go um, because like that would suck. It's like we've got six people here to play this game. It's going to be so much fun. Actually, it was seven because I was the I was the bad guy. And and then it's like, oh yeah, Phoenix, you're dead right away. And that was I think it was happenstance that she just wandered into oh, your path. It was, as a it was killer. completely random. It wasn't even like set up or anything. It was just like, oh hey, I'm right next to you. I could kill you, but I'm not. And I didn't yeah. say that. I said it afterwards. But and in Conan, like it was a concentrated effort. It wasn't like I hate you, Phoenix. I'm going to wipe you. But like every attack was on the Valkyrie. Oh, well, he wants to see what what the Valkyrie can do. Yeah, I guess well, we haven't played it since, so I guess <laughs> that is a really smart way to solve that problem because in in any of those like sort of tactical games line of sight is always a huge in the deke 
Yes. Uh, to, to try to to try to solve. So that's a really smart way to do it. It's just like, oh, I'm here. Yes, you can or can't see this over here. Because mm-hmm. um, every game that I've played that's skirmish or tabletop war game or anything, there's always questions about line of sight. Um, because no matter how you try to explain it in the rules, it's words trying to explain something that happens on a 3D plane that has all these other things that integrate with other rules and other areas. And it's just so complicated. Um, so that's that's a really smart way to handle that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was super smart of them to do, and I hope more companies kind of take a note from mm-hmm. that as well. Burns, I play most of my board games that I play with you. I can't think of a tactical board game that I actually enjoy, which is interesting because like tactical RPG is my favorite style of video game. We played Horizon, and there were some fun moments in that, yeah. but ultimately the not-so-cooperative nature of it drug that experience yes. down for us. Uh, Firefly Adventures has some potential. Mm-hmm. I've played that a couple times. I like that, but I wouldn't say that I'm in love with it. I liked uh, I liked Conan, but I had that very negative yeah, experience yeah. where my friend badgered my wife in it. <laughs> so I don't I can't think of a tactical action game that I played that I truly truly love. Maybe this will be my Batman, my tactical game as well. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's I don't know it's like Gloomhaven to some extent is kind of like that, but it's different. I and don't I know. haven't gotten super deep into Gloomhaven, so it's hard to yeah. tell. I've played a lot of Heroclix, and I do. I love yeah. Heroclix. Heroclix was I thought was a great system, and I feel like there's a little bit of uh, Heroclix infused in this game with the um, line of sight and the different levels. X-Wing, back when we played that a few times. Yeah, I've only played it a handful of times, but I did really enjoy that too. Yeah, I mean, that game's dead to me now. but Yeah, yeah it's dead to both of us, right? <laughs> 2.0 yeah. killed well, it mean, for you us. you sold it, but yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, I was like, nice. Yeah, like a thousand but... chips can we just play 1.0 can we like pretend oh yeah 2.0? oh yeah we you, still you, have all you could stuff. play 1.0 yeah, yeah no yeah. problem i just i was so heartbroken just kind of like archon it's like i need this out of my house to get the reminder away well it was that the 2.0 changeover like switching everything you have to buy like 50 dollars upgrades per faction right in order to make your stuff work with it coupled with like the last tournament i played in of it was such a just so frustrating that yeah it killed the game for me which is unfortunate who is Batman Gotham City Chronicles Season 3 for, Adam? Who's the ideal audience here? Like, is this something that you can bring a casual player into? Is this something you can bring new players into easily? Or is it more for those of us who love a big, meaty experience where we battle our friends to the death? I would say, well, first of all, any Batman fan probably mm-hmm. would be a great start. Um, superhero fans in general, probably another good plus. I think Season 1 and 2 are more of your hardcore gamer needs to play. Uh, the difficulty on it is pretty high. It's just under four, I believe, um, on the board game geek rating out of five. Mm-hmm. So kind of complexity there. Um, it is at a 3.74. So it's in the red already marked there. So it's pretty heavy rule set and things like that. But I think with what they're doing with the co-op and solo, mostly the co-op, it's way more accessible to bring someone in because yeah. Now you're saying you're giving someone an option. So it's like, okay, Joe, do you want to, here's our, here's our three heroes we could play for the scenario. Who do you want to play? Okay. You picked Batman. Here's your loadout options. What do you want? Okay, perfect. So now it's like, okay, now I've got you covered. And if I know how to run the villains, I can be like, okay, well, just so you know, this is, these are some of the things the villains might do. Right. Mm-hmm. So like we got to watch for these things and they're trying to do this. Right. So, so you, being a co-op experience now, I feel like that lowers the bar yeah. significantly. But it for, sounds like you still need a quarterback. Well, you don't necessarily, I don't think, need a quarterback. I mean, I, I'm talking like you want to bring in someone who's 
played Monopoly, and you you could probably get them. You'll you'll need a quarterback more there. You bring in you know you or Joe. And, and, and you know maybe even phoenix right so i don't know phoenix's game level i know you've played a decent amount of strategy games but it's like i i would feel comfortable like you know coming over some night teaching you and phoenix how to play and even if phoenix is you know level of you you know not necessarily quarterback or more but you can give more aid to there yeah. where i might just let you free run around and and you'll pick oh, up you on it that. yeah yeah <laughs> He's off playing with the computer that doesn't matter as Phoenix and I are trying to fix the actual Tom's objective. playing the villain now. Yeah, he, yeah. there happen? is no traitor mechanics. There is no traitor mechanics, Tom. So, But no, it, it's, it's definitely something where I feel like it lowers the bar for need of like nerdy, I'm super into board games that it previously did. I would say before you'd have to be more into the more difficult longer games to play and i think the co-op brings that down i still i just i feel like you need someone with some savvy with the rules i well for sure i I don't think just giving someone the board game you know but but having someone who knows it that can also then be on your team is a huge like aid i think in bringing people into the hobby even right so you have a big batman fan and they're like nope i really want to learn this Okay, it's possible because I can I can help mm-hmm. without you feeling like you know if we're playing scythe and someone just decides to like attack you viciously, you know, because they've played it way too many times and then they win because you were the vulnerable one, uh, Tom. So um, I did that to you. I know I did. That yeah, yeah, you did that to me when we, the same day I destroyed you guys in viticulture. I'm not yeah. sure what happened first, but yeah. one of them was revenge. Was yeah, okay, so it was probably revenge off of what I did to you guys. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's just like having like so not the fear of can, should I do this? Yeah, that's a fine idea. Or like not feeling like you have to go to the enemy to ask for advice. Sure. But. I like Scythe. Scythe is such a great game. It is fun. Any other thoughts on Batman? Gotham City Chronicles Season 3. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, it does. We should definitely get together to play that game. Next up, kind of an update. Joey, you wanted to talk about Merchant's Cove Mastercraft, published by Final Frontier Games, designed by Carl Van Ostrand and Drake Velario. The theme is still running a store in a fantasy city. It's an asymmetrical economic management game. Yeah, and so this is an expansion. Uh, so they newly put up on Kickstarter this la- the end of this last year, um, or this year, as we're not in 2020. Well, you're in 2023. We are not yet, uh, listener. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, it adds five new merchants to the game, which is awesome. I've so far I've still I've played three of the seven that I got, or technically eight. In the main game, but I've experienced playing along with like five of them now. Um, but having more merchants, more options are super interesting. Uh, one of them, I think you and Phoenix would um, would uh, would like is Hemlock Tromes, who is a detective. And yes. so your whole thing is that you're you're collecting these clues and then you're basically putting them into sets to try to solve uh, the mystery. Um, I don't know exactly how you sell things with that, but it's all in the, it's all in there. I've, I've breezed through each of the, but each of the five merchants had similar to what the original game was. They all play kind of completely differently. They have sort of their own gimmick to them as to, um, as to uh, like how you're doing your merchant thing. And then that all kind of comes together then in the city of selling your wares that you've generated 
to the different people that come into the come in on the ships. And um, then this game also adds a fifth type of um, villager or person that will buy from you, which are paladins. Um, so it's another colored meeple of people that come through that you can sell to. Um, and it adds like another phase to the game that you can add on to it, the festival phase, which seems like it mixes things up and gives you another mechanism to try to um, make money off of, as opposed to just the sort of main kind of phases of the three times that you get people in on the ships and sell to them. And, and so it, it all sounds like it's just going to breathe more life into a game that I've enjoyed playing a lot and look forward to playing even more um, before this comes out. But then when this comes out, just having that add even more life to it. And then what? Because then your permutations as to how many different combinations you can have in a four player game is like a lot you know um, well, which i so, think is interesting it's so fascinating the basic premise is so simple like you're yeah. just a shopkeeper and each shopkeeper has their own little thing that they're doing to produce wares and then how you're manipulating the town to buy your stuff i think that's really interesting it's such a it's fascinating to me that they've come up with nine different types of shops for you to be yeah no it's and and they each play like i think they each play really well some of them are a little bit more complicated than others kind of like when you were playing the time the, traveler the chronomancer yeah and it's just like and i played as that one after the fact and it's just like yeah you feel like you're cheating you feel like you're cheating yeah it's Be fun though because of like the whole like way that you're manipulating things and you might not do something in one turn but then in another turn you do like three things and it's all about setting stuff up and then like making it pay off um, whereas then with the blacksmith, you're rolling dice and then trying to put the numbers together to make the best thing that you can. Um, and so it's just, it's a super interesting concept. But then I think the thing that makes Merchant's Cove really good uh, is the fact that you have these different types of villagers that you're trying to bring in to buy things. And the game that kind of comes from that, like, okay. I know I have like a lot of these yellow um, objects to sell. So I need to get yellow uh, meeples in in order to sell to them. And you have a boat that has two yellow meeples in it and a blue meeple and you draw a red one. Do I want that to come in to get, you know, make sure I'm getting two people to go into the port that I want it to go into because I have like large objects so they, they have to go into a certain port in order to buy the large objects. I've got large objects. Um, or do I sort of risk it and knowing Adam also wants to sell yellow large objects, he might draw yellow and put it into that boat and bring it into the port that I want and I'm going to make even more money off of that. So it's like this interesting kind of like I don't want to say semi-cooperative because it's not really right. cooperative, but it's like you're looking at what other people have made and trying to determine are they wanting the same thing as you or not. And then are you going to like sandbag them to your benefit? Um, I, I think it's really interesting. And I've only really scratched the surface of some of like the added stuff that kind of is kind of goes along with the game on top of just like the merchants and that, like with the thieves and so on and how those can work differently um, with different cards. And, and it's a really neat game. It's a really interesting game. And I'm, I'm super excited to get more for it. So it's a four-player game. Can you imagine the chaos that would unfold if both Brian and I played this game with you? <laughs> I mean, it'd be interesting. Um, but I think it's accessible for people. Like, you'd want to play certain shopkeeps um, that are maybe a little bit more straightforward. 
But I think it's it's pretty. I think it's something that would be accessible to a lot of different types of people as long as you're willing to give a game like this a shot. I mean, once again, there's no combat, um, but there's conflict because it's like you want to get, you know, you have certain types of things that you're trying to sell, and you want to get those types of people into there, um, and other people might want to get, you know, other things. So yeah, it's it's really neat how the game kind of flows and and goes from start to finish, and then each game feels different if you're playing a different shopkeep because you're doing something different, even though you're overall doing the same thing, right? I call dibs on the uh, submariners so I can sink Pat's battleship. <laughs> <laughs> you sunk my battleship. Yeah. That's what you get, Patrick. That is Merchant's Cove Mastercraft, the last game that we're gonna talk about on the horizon. Adam, I know you're excited for this. Oh, yeah. The Elder Scrolls Betrayal of the Second Era by publisher Chip Theory Games, your absolute <laughs> favorite company in the world. Is Pretty much, hyperbole? yeah. God, they, I just, I've been playing another game, which I'll update here shortly, that I got literally December 24th. What's the date now? December 27th. 27th. Yeah, so it's three days later. And yes, I was the guy who like ripped this thing open, got it all organized, set up, and like, had to just like read the rules on like Christmas Eve and play it Christmas <laughs> night by myself because yeah I am a fanboy but I I think they do phenomenal work on their production value on their rules balancing and they are one of the companies that listens to the community when they say something isn't working right. Um, so Elder Scrolls, one of my favorite video games of all time, and I'm saying Elder Scrolls in general because yeah. I started with Morrowind and then I played Oblivion, which is actually my favorite. And then I did Skyrim. And the the box, the core box of this game comes with five regions, and three of those regions are from those video games. Oh, nice. The three re- most recent. And before we dive too deep into it, it's designed by Josh Carlson and Michael Gernes. The theme is Skyrim meets too many bones. It is a one to four player cooperative adventure game with customizable combat styles, quests, gear upgrades, and dungeon crawling. Yes. So I'm pretty sure I've mentioned too many bones like eight times on the podcast and <laughs> the three times I've been here. So uh, probably more than that, but that's we'll, we'll allow it. Right. So, so too many bones is a great kind of character development, but it's in their own. Uh, it's in Chip Theory Games' own IP. So they they worked with. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Bethesda. Bethesda. Thank you. I can't say it. So that company they got a contract deal, not just for. Skyrim, which is a lot of the ones that are coming out because Skyrim mm-hmm. is the game that will never yeah. die. Yeah. They'll it's just keep they'll right? just keep re-releasing it for new generations of games or consoles and things like that. But it's it's for the whole of Elder Scrolls and they already have even on their current campaign page on GameFound because they're one of the companies that has switched to GameFound. Um They've even mentioned we already have permission for future campaigns of future expansions of, expansions of regions. So really this is going to focus on you building out your character just like in the game, being able to really customize like not being pigeonholed into well I am a knight so therefore I have to have heavy armor and I'm going to swing a big sword. You can have the heavy armor and be a spellcaster. Like mm-hmm. they really want to prize on that and they have the die cut out neoprene mats just like in too many bones for mm-hmm. your character development so the production value is going to be there um but yeah i'm pretty excited for it and it helps that i'm now one of their super exclusive um backers so i'm one of we talked about that on last year's show you paid like a certain fee so you have 
can you remind us all yep. that the program goes into it? But you're guaranteed a base copy of all of their games. Correct. correct. So I get a I get a base copy of all their games, and then I just have to pay for shipping of that and any expansion content I want. So basically, uh, like one of the games we're talking about, Victorum coming up, instead of paying, you know, let's say like 250 for the all-in of that game, I only had to pay, you know, like a hundred bucks. So I got it for like close to half off because I wanted the, well, I got the super expensive like metal dice that they do for Victorum because it's, you know, you're swinging swords, so you got to have metal mm-hmm. dice. You know, that was a ridiculous add-on. But yeah, so I'm one of their, they're called strategists, pledge levels. So the crazy thing is, is when they first did this program, it was back for the original Hoplomachus game. And um, they, I believe it was like only like $60 to add on, um, to make everyone feel better. I paid $660 for it and I'm keeping a spreadsheet of how much at which point, <laughs> which game is going to officially pay that off. Um, but they COVID has threw a little yeah. bit into that, but they're still releasing close to three games or expansions to games and when they do an expansion it's not small by any means Mm -hmm. um to their games a year so i'm making on average right now close to 300 dollars back a year on it so give it two years and i've made my money back almost so it'll be super cool from there on out but yes i'm guaranteed a base copy and i just have to add on the little extras so i will be getting little extras yeah yeah, little extras (laughs) that still cost like as much as the core game but it, it helps in the long run but yeah it's it's super cool. So like, it's super exciting too. like to, to know that that that's partially covered already by the investment, how, you know, at this point close to a little, well, it's over been over a year, but, um, yeah. So I get the core game for free. So that's exciting too. like, Ooh, a free game that I still pay for extra. So from what they've said, and maybe they haven't given a lot of details on it yet, but are, is the gameplay very similar to like too many bones or are there differences to how, like that's going to work. Yep. So I read through their campaign page again just to try to refresh myself. So they have like a preview out on GameFound. So if you go to GameFound, type in the Elder Scrolls, it should pop up for you. And you can read kind of what they have. And they have some of the art. And and they're doing their more what I would per, kind of describe as a cartoony like art style. So they're not like full on like Skyrim, like, you know, Skyrim graphics, if you want to call it that they ha- they throw a little bit of their like cartoony spin on it. Cause that's how their artist kind of mm-hmm. draws things and it's fully art from them. So it's all reskinned of art, but yeah, it's how there's like a world map and then there's battle maps. Okay. So you're kind of out exploring the world map. And then when you do a battle, you go down into it, kind of like Victorum does, okay. which I'll probably describe a little bit later, uh-huh. you know, foreshadowing here. But um, it's, it's still a good experience like that. But I think they're going even more in depth into the world map than what they did for Victorum. So you're going to have you're going to have neoprene on neoprene as much as I can uh, know. But they're going to have a very similar hex style grid also to Cloudspire for one of the maps I know. Okay. So you're going to have basically hex you know grids of of neoprene mats that then somehow plug into each other to make different style maps for you and i'm assuming that's the battle mat then to interesting add some variety and then you can add i'm assuming objects and things to get in your way and whatever else but yeah they they haven't been able to release a lot and they're under a lot of i know rules um just via their contract for the ip yeah but so they can only release as much as possible you know as they're allowed but the the hope is the campaign actually is now set for quarter one of 2023 
just because of COVID delays and things like that. It was originally supposed to actually be the quarter four release for this year, or at least for the campaign to back it. Yeah. That's why I still put it on here, but I think they're still trying to fulfill it then within a year of that. So hopefully maybe towards the end of next year, but we'll see. Birdsy, with Microsoft having more money than God and now owning Bethesda, do you ever see a world where Microsoft expands beyond the Xbox and video games into producing board games? I, I don't know if they would ever do that. Like, that would be so far outside of what, like, Microsoft does. Well, wasn't the Xbox? The Xbox was outside of what it does, but it was still software, computer-based situation, right? But, like, the original Xbox was hardware. The Xbox itself was hardware, but it's still in that same realm. Like, board games is a completely different realm. Um, you know, I'm sure they have some... I mean, I know that they would have background with logistics, but, like, with... And maybe some background with, like, creating you talking yourself into it, aren't you? I'm not talking myself into it. I just... I don't <laughs> think they would ever do that. They would much rather just license it out Collect and make the these money other and... companies do yeah. the hard work of developing it in the ways that they have those, that experiences, but who knows? I mean, eventually they'll buy all the video game, uh, you know, publishers that are out there. And so then they'll maybe, you know, stretch out to, to board games. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I think right now they're totally fine. Just selling the IP. They've done it many times. At least the, the IP yeah. of Skyrim has been sold many times. Um, I wonder how much of that was done before Bethesda sold as a way to raise capital. It's a good question. It's hard. I don't, I would guess that the Elder Scrolls would have been after, at least after the merger was, for for Chip Theory, Mm -hmm. probably would have been after the merger was at least announced if it wasn't already finalized. Um, I guess what what also would be interesting, since Bethesda has a lot of experience of like setting up those licensing agreements, because they've done it for like most of their, most of their video games have had a board game iteration or three of them at this point. I wonder if that experience is going to bleed into more other Microsoft properties getting board games licensed out, you know, because now they have, you know, a few marketing people probably that manage that licensing for Bethesda games. They could probably do the same thing for Halo and for um, Fable. There, that's another. It took me a while. Halo 2. (laughs) Halo 3. All the bad ones. (laughs) (laughs) Started with ODST. Burns, are you at all interested in The Elder Scrolls, Betrayal of the Second Era? I'd definitely give it a shot. I mean, I've enjoyed, like, what I've played of the other Chip Theory games that I've played with Adam, um, which I think is just Cloud Spire and Too Many Bones. I don't know that I've played another one. Yeah. I'd very much like to play their games. I still have a sour taste in my mouth from dealing with their (laughs) marketing department. Yeah. But that... You know, marketing is separate from the actual game designers. Right, yep. right. Yeah. No, I definitely want to, like, I need, not want at this point, it is a need. I need to get some time to teach you too many bones. And, and that's still one of my favorite games. And, and I guess kind of on, like, a final note for this, too, just to let you know, Chip Theory Games is claiming this is going to be their most ambitious game ever. And to me, that's a huge statement because I have their 13-inch by 13-inch by 13-inch cube of MDF storage for their Too Many Bones game, which is optimizing the storage as much as possible, cramming as much as you can into a basically one-foot cube. And I know how much game is there and how much replayability and the option for campaigns or solo one-offs or character development Mm -hmm. and all the different characters and all of that insane stuff. So for them to say this is going to be bigger than that 
is a huge yeah. statement, and and they're it's a fourteen inch cube. Uh, that would <laughs> that cube. would make it bigger. It's so bigger. yeah, 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 it's yeah. <laughs> it is more ambitious. Fourteen inches, fourteen. I mean, that's all you really need, right? One more inch than the last guy, but um, yeah, size it's a good size. <laughs> it's yeah, it's so I I think that that's a lot. That's a bold statement from them knowing and playing some of their other games like i'm just enamored with victorum right now because i guess i'm just going to keep on tooting that horn a little bit but i really want to play burn cycle we talked about that in new year's new games in 2021 yes that is yeah that would be a great game to play tom geez i'm not the guy that still has that sitting on my shelf yet to play but that (laughs) that one actually would probably be a lot better game to to get people because that the feedback on that one is they took the too many bones aspect of everyone has their own character. And instead of having this literal eight by 11 sheet of here's your tips for your character and your rules for your character. It, it is like way more boiled down and more about just the experience of playing with the other people on trying to sneak through, you know, sci-fi corporations as robots trying to like not be killed by humans. It's like robot Shadowrun. Yes, it. robot Shadowrun. That's exactly what it is. So, <laughs> so yeah, I will I will get that one out, learn it, and I can bring that one over because I know people have been raving about that one too. So I'm sure that's a great experience yeah. as well. That sounds awesome. A lot of lot of awesome games come out. I'm still struggling with the figure that you threw out of 1,500 games over the last five years, like. 15,000. 15,000. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah. 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 There's another zero in there. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, and that's why I think just like Tainted Grail, there's so much noise in the market. Mm-hmm. And and I think the big thing for me, and I know this isn't like on our show notes at all, but my goal, honestly, for like 2023 is play what I have. Play what's coming. There is so much out there. And, and the thing that I think that really bothered me when I was sick and had nothing to do but to contemplate my own life was <laughs> I have these games that I love in my basement. I'm so glad you're okay, dude. That, that, <laughs> that are are <laughs> just sitting there. And I know I love them and I want to play more of them. And yet all of this noise of more stuff coming in, more campaigns, like play it, enjoy it. And then like, is that replayability there? If not, is there something better, you know? I, and and I think just really trying to focus on my collection this next year would be like a very good like goal for myself. I, I just imagine as Adam's like mind is panning over <laughs> a given game that he hasn't played yet or he hasn't played for a long time. It's just like I will remember you. Now singing like a cat. Meow 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 meow. Oh, I love it. Uh, one of my goals for the next year is to get in a regular routine of playing board games. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, we live next to each other. We should play some board games. We should. Yeah. So that's everything that's coming out that you need to pay attention to in the next year in crowdfunded games. So uh, over the last year, I've, you know, been learning how to be a dad. So I, I've had to work on my dad jokes a little bit. So I guess I just wanted to, you know, ask you two guys do either of you two know why you can always trust premier health uh i do not oh well that's because they always have your back (laughs) um you know tax season's just around the corner too Mm -hmm. uh did you guys hear the irs is actually looking a little closer at premier health oh no yeah oh wow yeah that's because they owe back taxes (laughs) funny wordplay not an actual indictment of premier health who we love and support wholeheartedly (laughs) exactly uh but, you know, kind of on that note, I fear the real critic of my uh, dad jokes is going to be Pat. So curious to know, though, do you guys know what Pat and Premier Health have in common? 
They both have butts? Uh, well, <laughs> not quite, but they definitely both crack people up. <laughs> so that's that's all I got so far. So, Pat, if you have any feedback for me, just let me know. But uh, you can you can use any of that content you want as well. But uh, that that's my shtick for Premier Health, and thank you for sponsoring the show. <laughs> thank you for your stand-up act. We encourage you to check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, board game-related injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Kimiel in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. Is there an adjustment that fixes sense of humor? Does the Logan technique help with that? <laughs> Logan technique helps with literally everything. <laughs> Next up, Tom Awesome's Top 5. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. For the Top 5 today, we are going to discuss the 5 most fun mechanics in tabletop games mechanics mechanisms Bernsey, this is your list i'm going to turn it over to you here the top five most fun mechanisms in tabletop games yeah yeah and i don't know this is like sort of morphing between most fun most favorite but it's like most fun that's why i try tried to lay like lay it towards because um, there's some mechanics out there that aren't necessarily fun. And I wanted to try to be more specific because one I had in my mind was just like dice throwing. But it's like, like rolling dice, is that really, like that's a mechanism, sure, but it's like, that's pretty basic. It's on the board game geek list, which I have pulled up of all of the, the board game mechanics gotcha. that they have okay. in their so database. Technically that would have counted, but I wanted to try to be a little bit more specific. So with number five, I put blind bidding. And so what blind bidding is, is basically you have something that everybody, like resources that everybody could put money towards. And then in some way, shape or form, whether you're holding the resources in your hand and you all reveal it at the same time, or like you have it behind a screen and you lift the screen, um, you're going to bid on something. And I think that's always a fun mechanic because of the fact that you don't know if you're going to get it or not. Maybe you really want it. Otherwise, you want people to think you really want it. So they pay more. You say it's a fun mechanic. For me, there is nothing more frustrating than when I waste those resources. Like think of <laughs> Revolution specifically, like yeah. you're blind bidding to control these different areas of the town, and like if you bid the same as someone else and it's not the winning bid, like you just lose. You yep. lose your resources. Nobody gets it. Nobody wins. Yeah. Hate it. Drives me crazy. You got to bid more then. But it's fun <laughs> when you flip over your hand and you open it up. It's just like, oh, did I get it? Did I not? Like there's that tension there. I like it when I win. Gotcha. I hate it with a burning, fiery passion when I lose. And I, yeah, that, that summarizes my feelings. <laughs> yeah, like. So the other games I put down there, other than Revolution, because that was one that I remembered um, that that has that as a main component. Um, I put Downforce. That's only like an aspect for the first part of the game when you're bidding on cars. But like the whole trick is you're gonna have a better chance at winning if you pay less for a car, right? Mm. Um, and so. But you want to make sure you get a car that you have, like, the right, like, cards for to help move yourself a little bit better. Um, so I think that's a fun mechanic in that game, even though it's only, like, part of, like, the setup or the auction, the early part of the game. But then Rising Sun also, um, that's one of, like, the main mechanics in that game where you can bid on Ronin. So basically you'll have <laughs> troops that you can bring into your army to help then put them into different areas so that you can 
you know, try to win there and control a certain area. Um, and that's a really fun mechanic in there because, yeah, you have the little screen and you lift it up and it's like, oh, yep, this is how much I'm bidding. And, you know, and then you try to mess around with like your your coins to make it look like you're maybe putting more back there than you are or whatever. Uh, it just makes it a fun mechanic. So that's number five is blind bidding. Uh, for number four, I put multiple paths to victory. Now, and I'm sure this is in more games than I think it is. Um, but the main one that came to my mind and the main reason why it's in here is Scythe. So there's lots of different like mechanisms that you can interact with in Scythe and lots of different ways that you can earn victory points. Um, and the fact that you can sort of mold a few of those together in different ways to try to achieve your goal, I think is really interesting. It makes each game uh, that you play of it more fun, especially if different people approach it in different ways. It's interesting. I... I see what you're saying. I don't think that Scythe has multiple paths to victory. I think it all lies in maximizing those resources. Like, you got to cover up all the crap on your board so that you're maximizing your stuff every turn, and then you just take the opportunities that are dealt. So, yeah, okay, I guess there's multiple paths to victory. Yeah. I talked myself into it, but <laughs> I feel like there's a destiny with Scythe, and, like, you just have to maximize your resources to achieve that destiny. Yeah, I think, though, like, what I mean by and the And kill Adam. Well, well, there is that, too. Um, but that's one of the paths. You could do lots of combat in it to try to gain those victory points. Um, and so it's like, because you have, what, is it eight different ways, ten different ways that you can score victory points inside? It's something like that. It's a and lot. you're sort of balancing which ones of those you want to focus on on a given playthrough to try to get you to that threshold to win. And I think the other part of it with Scythe that makes it uh, like intriguing also is that some of that can happen like really fast. So, like, it'll, you'll play kind of a slow game or it won't be apparent that you're about to do this. And then you close, like, two of those loops. And it's like, oh, all right, we're, like, this close to ending the game. Crap, I got to do this and I got to do this. And you feel like, you I got lots of catching up to do. Um, and so I think that's, like, another thing that um, it just makes that aspect of the game really fun. Um, and so, yeah, multiple paths of victory I put at number four. You had Tapestry listed here. And we all know that the tech tree is the straight road to winning that game i think you're wrong i, I still also think you're wrong i also think you're wrong on that one Tom. that's right marvel avengers was the worst game that we played on the history of <laughs> proceed uh number three um and this was a late edition because so basically i went into my room and i was like looking at what were some examples of some of these things and then i was like i saw wingspan on my shelf and i was just like holy crap i did not have engine building in the list so engine building is number three um so trying to make the most efficient sort of path or uh, to get your resources or to get whatever it is that you need to do in the game i think is really fun because once you get that in motion and you see that like working for you like that's super awesome to like see in the game and then hoping that your engine is better than other people's i think uh is, is just a really fun mechanic because you get like the satisfaction to see that it's succeeding and then it's like well how can i optimize it to try to pass tom you know or or um you know all of uh, pat's crows war crows that he's attacking us with it was the uh, turkey vulture turkey vulture that's what it was that's what it was um, so another game that I put on here, which is one that I haven't actually played, but like Race to the Galaxy is a really well-known engine-building game. And Scythe also is 
a lot of ways an engine building game because you're determining which levers that you're pulling in order to to make your make your points. I just wanted to point out that uh, the turkey vulture is the official bird of Derek McDonald. If Derek <laughs> McDonald had a familiar, it would be a turkey vulture. <laughs> Derek no. McDonald of the Noldor Elves. Yes, yes. Joe, jo, I realize you missed a very important engine builder, and that would be Viticulture Essential Edition, <laughs> which... If you don't efficiently build your engine of making wine, you are going to lose. Yes. Just like Casey did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What a horrible, disappointing yeah. failure Casey was <laughs> at Viticulture. And I think that's called the Grapes of Wrath at that point, was what Casey was feeling <laughs> afterwards. Um, so that was number three, engine building. Uh, my number two uh, mechanic on here, and this was one I was really, I was really torn as to whether I could make this number one or not, but... Uh, card drafting is uh, my number two mechanic. And the examples I put down were Magic the Gathering um, and Res Arcana. Now, Magic the Gathering, that's weird because it's like, oh, I've played Magic many times and I just I have my deck. I sit here, I play down my mana, and that's all I do. But the most fun I've ever had was when our friends get together and we will open up new packs and then draft them. So basically, you have your pack that you opened up, you have 15 cards. You take one, you pass it to the next person on your right. They will take a card out of that, and you just sort of keep going until you're building up like the deck that you're going to play with. And I think that's a super fun and cool mechanic because you go in, it's just like you could have a strategy going in, but then depending upon the cards that come in, you're just like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go this way instead. Um, and then it's like, oh, well, I knew I wanted to go blue, but I wasn't sure what other color nobody else is taking greens i'm gonna just pile on the greens because i'll i'll get a lot of them and i should be able to make a deck out of that um and i think that aspect is really cool on a smaller scale res arcana um once you know how to play the game and play that variant i think makes it a ton of fun because Mm -hmm. then it's like you are able to start to choose um this is kind of what i want to lean in in order to build my kind of engine that I'm I'm yep. crafting out of this. One of the best card drafting games, actually, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, so. that's what I think. And so card drafting, I think, is a really cool mechanic. I wish that it was in more games um, because I think I think it's just really fun and a fun and interesting way to um, kind of be the setup for the rest of the game that you're going to play. It sounds really interesting. I don't think... I think the only card drafting game I've played is Seven Wonders... That's a yeah. That's a card drafting. Yeah, um, I I feel like card drafting for me mm-hmm. has actually risen as I've played more games yeah. as a mechanic. Um, I think the trickiest thing with card drafting and why it's not in a lot. I mean, it has to be a very specific type of game that would be able to a card game, a card yeah. game for one. But then, like only like not all card games could be could have a card drafting mechanic to it. Either, Gloomhaven right? definitely could. <laughs> that would be that would be. You just have this. Oh, I almost said a bad word. You just have this really <laughs> weird sort of like <laughs> mixed up character of all these different random abilities. That would be crazy. Um, but that would be, it's something that I think would be interesting to see developed a lot more yeah. in a lot of other games or, or for a lot of games to mess around with. I think. Yeah. I feel seven wonders is probably one of the most common yes. ones. Uh, Res Arcana is probably one of my most favorite, but another yeah. one too, that's kind of like a hidden gem in my opinion is Cedars. Uh, oh, yeah. so Cedars, yeah. the, actually I wrote the review on. Yeah. One of the most popular articles we've ever had on <laughs> outside is overrated. That's actually a very heavy card drafting game. Uh, lots of. 
sequences in there, but then you have to obviously do stuff. But the cool thing with that card drafting is the cards are multiple use. And I think that mm -hmm. adds a whole nother element to card drafting Yeah, is if, can I scrap this for resources? Can I plug this in here? Do I use this as a sacrifice for yeah. this other card? I think that adds a whole nother element. So I think how it's implemented also really affects on like you're saying it could be a one or a two. I think it's kind of yeah. the game that makes it a one or a two or even a three there's, maybe. Th there's truth to that. I think the other thing that makes card drafting diff difficult is that you, you have to kind of know in order mm -hmm. to draft, right? Mm -hmm. And so it makes it difficult the first time you play a game. So like that's why they recommend with Res Arcana you don't do like a card draft the first time you just play with set decks or you play with like the set four and then you draw four um, to, to fill out your eight cards that you have. But um, if you don't know what you're picking for, you just kind of lost a yep. little bit. So that, that's maybe the one negative to why it's not, or the one reason why it's not as accessible to be included in a lot more uh, games. And so that was number two card draft. And maybe why I find it more, more enjoyable yeah, lately as I've grown as a board gamer, it comes more easy to me maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and I can see the appreciation for it more. So, but. Uh, so honorable mentions that I have on here, uh, tile laying exploration. Uh, I, it's just super fun to flip something over and see what it is. So like betrayal, um, the betrayal games would be one really good example of this. The D and D board games that we played. The D and D board games. Uh, also uh, tainted grail. Tainted grail is very similar to that. Uh, also, uh, um, discover lands unknown is similar in that way. Uh, then there's like the fallout board game also has that mechanic. And it's just cool. Cause you don't, it, it helps to show you that fog of war mechanic that you would have in a video game, right? Is you don't know what's coming and then you see it and it's like, ah, oh, it's all this stuff. That's pretty cool. I can go do this. And it adds to that randomness. You don't necessarily mm -hmm. know what's coming. Right. Um, and then I put, <laughs> I put the trader mechanic, including hidden trader. I, I really couldn't put it anywhere on a top five for fun mechanisms. And I called it trader just because I wanted to also include betrayal in there as well, because you're not really a hidden trader. You just get revealed one at the end, at the midpoint of the game. I much prefer the betrayal mechanic to say Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Where it's, where it's like, you could be from the start or you could be halfway down the line. And, um, you know, then it's just really, <laughs> it's just a, a long road to hoe if you're Tom. It sure is. And like, I just, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of done with trader games. I want a game that allows me to be as chaotic as I want to be. Cause I, I see opportunities everywhere. Yeah. And sometimes I see an opportunity to light up or throw a fireball at like a barrel of oil. And I want to do that. I want to have the freedom to do that without I, being sent to the brig. I, I mean, I can understand that. Um, but yes, you should go to the brig for that. Um, <laughs> something a Cylon would say. Yeah, it is exactly <laughs> yeah. something a Cylon would say. Uh, and the final honorable mention I have is character progression. Um, and so whether it's like Gloomhaven where you're getting new abilities or you have the perks where you're leveling up your character and you're sort of choosing how that goes or like or, horizon with the, uh, the different decks of upgrades. Yes. Yes. That, that was another interesting, like anything that allows you to sort of build your character and see where that goes. Now, granted that's only going to work in certain games, but I think even in a, like a two hour game, you could have your character like evolve in one way or another. Um, and I think that always just makes it more interesting um, as you go through a game and even like D and D like that's the, you know, that's what, what created character leveling basically. Uh, 
I, I think all of that, anything where your character gets stronger or changes as time goes on and you have to adapt to that or, or have new things that you can do because of that, I think is super fun. Um, and that was actually number three until I remembered I didn't have engine building on there. Oh. And then I just kicked Drop. it up because it's such a big, yeah. yeah. it was a big tent type of thing. And that felt, it felt weird not being a more specific mechanic, but anyway. So number five was blind bidding. Number four was multiple paths to victory. Number three, engine building. Number two, card drafting. What is your number one most fun mechanic in a tabletop game? Yeah. So my number one is deck building slash like dice pool building. And so the examples I have in here are um, Dune Imperium, One Deck Dungeon, Dominion, which I still haven't ever played, even though I've owned it for like six years now, and then uh, Quarriers. I like that you cherry-picked a couple of my favorite <laughs> games for this. Thank yes. you. Yes. Can I can I ask quick, would you include like big building in this category? So, I, I mean, I, it probably would be included, though it's, it's, it's <clears throat> slightly different, like with... The deck building and dice pool building, um, like that's like everything that you're playing are kind of those things. Typically, a lot of times when I've seen in bag building games, Quick. that's like one of your mechanisms for playing through the game. What is bag building? So it's when you're drawing. So there's some games where a mechanic is you're drawing something out of a, a bag of objects, right? And then bag building would be you have the ability to either put things into there to change that or take things out and put things into there um, to kind of change what resources you grab out of it or whatever it might be that would be in there. So I know Burn Cycle uses a mechanic like that. Is that mm-hmm. a very chip theory friendly mechanic? Um, it is also in Victorum, which is actually why I kind of ask because I've been doing a lot of bag building, a.k.a. killing gladiators and throwing them into a bag mm-hmm. um, lately, last couple days. But Body bag. It, it, to me, it's a very similar concept just because it's like, how is that different than buying a card and then throwing in my deck and then shuffling my deck mm-hmm. and then drawing as opposed to buying a chip or buying a resource and throwing it into the bag and then pulling that out randomly. Do you tend to <clears throat> cycle through everything in the bag with like a dice builder or a deck builder? You're constantly cycling through your deck and getting through everything that you purchased. Um, it depends on the game, I guess. Um not all games. I mean, some of them you do pull through all of it. Yeah. Uh, Victorum is not one that you actually have to, depending on the scenario um, or the situation you might find yourself in. But that is that is a diff- like that is an aspect that changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess with that is you are correct in that deck building. You typically do cycle that deck yep. and you are going through all the cards multiple times where in then... some big building I've experienced, you do not pull it all, but yep. a big builder where you do pull it all would be like the Arkham horror card game, the LCG. Uh, oh, okay. You have all of the symbols in there and eventually you have to pull it out. So no, eventually, you know, you're going to pull the, the oh crap El- yeah. elder. Yeah. The elder sign on there. That's going to be, or not the elder sign, the, uh, there's a bad chip, and I'm totally mind blanking yeah. on what it is. The other sign's the good one you want to pull. The there's the bad guy one too. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And I think I, you talking about uh, Victorum, uh, like that made me think of uh, uh, For Glory is another uh, deck building game mm-hmm. um, where you're basically building your deck of gladiators and getting rid of like the weaker ones to get stronger ones in there, and then playing them out in battles and so on and so forth. So, but it's just it's a fun mechanic because you're starting off with nothing and you see the progression as you're going through. And there's like, like there's decisions that you make and starting. I think it's the, the reason why I have it at number one is because of the fact that 
you're starting off at like a base level and everybody usually has that same level mm-hmm. of stuff. And like, so you get an idea and a feel for the game as to this is how it works. And then you see this card and you're like, ah, I see how that could help me. So I'll get that card and then, oh, that'll help me do this. And that matches with this. And so you're like learning the game as you're playing it, which I think is a really fun way and an accessible way for people to experience it. Um, and, and so that's, I think, why it's one of the more fun mechanics, because it's it, it sort of like gives you that ramp up to learning the deeper mechanisms mm-hmm. of the game as you go through it, uh, which is, I think, which is, I think, really neat. And, and, it, and it's empowering for a person once you get to the end and you're like, this is all the things that I kind of developed with this and it's super cool. And then you can go a different direction next time you play. Um, and depending on who you play against, it might change how you how you how you play a little bit differently. Yeah, kind of in a nutshell, I guess. I think this is a great mechanic for number one mm-hmm. because it, it allows the accessibility of someone newer to learn but also allows the complexity of seasoned kind of vets of a game like that to really deep dive into the strategies of mm-hmm. how do I make my deck more efficient? How, what, what combos work really well? And I think that's where kind of going back to like Res Arcana, which is technically also a deck builder mm-hmm. and card drafting combo. That's yep. really the nutshell of what it is, um, is a great example of that. Yep. Being able to bring in almost anyone to teach them that game and then realizing the complexity of how many games like we've played at the Green Bay retreat uh-huh. of that game and how much our strategies have developed and the amount of time people have like thought between the years of us being there <laughs> of dumb strategies like me who I'm like, wait a second, you can discard cards to cycle and get gold? That's a mechanic? And then I can just draw that like endlessly uh-huh. to get a whole bunch of gold? Wait a second. So I like I literally stored that in my brain for like six months and then waited to like employ that and like see the look on everyone's faces. So I, I think deck building is a great mechanic for number one and just the variety of games but also accessibility of games and i think that's super important for bringing more people into the hobby yeah i'm with you i think back to our cowboy bebop show where we played cowboy bebop space serenade which Mm -hmm. is a deck building game that game was somewhat limiting because you have a character and you're trying to combo the different character abilities i prefer a game like ascension or something that has a blank slate that you start with and you get to completely build it how you see fit yeah, good mechanic, good list. I don't have any major grips, major drips, <laughs> or drips, or I love deck building and dice games. So yeah, yeah. The, the only one I want to ask about is I feel like it's a huge mechanic, uh-huh. and it's not even mentioned in honorable mention. It's worker placement. So I'm just kind of wonder what what has like did COVID just really make worker placement horrible for you, Joe, or something like that? Or? Honestly, it's just I never even until you said worker placement before we got started, I never even thought of it as a mechanic. But it probably should be on here somewhere, but it's not on here because we'll, it's no good. We'll add it in the, the honorable <laughs> mentions. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I was I was a huge worker placement person when yeah. I like kind of I'd say like early to to middle of my game life. I feel like I'm a seasoned vet at this point, and it still is fun. But I wouldn't say it's like the only mechanic. I, I really gravitated towards worker placement for a long time. Um, and that's maybe why it's like, wait, why don't you have that on there? But I don't know. Just me, I guess. But otherwise, I think it's a great list. It's been the, I haven't played a worker placement game probably in a while. So that's that's probably the other aspect of it, too. Yeah. Wasn't fresh to mind. We'll have to get back to Lords of Waterdeep soon. What did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at TomSidLogicOIO, and I will pass them along to Burns in a very salty text message. I mean, you could just tweet them to me, too. but Yeah, no, I like to plug myself. Yeah. 
That sounds sexual. Uh, yeah. And then he likes to send you salty texts. <laughs> yeah. Real salty. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. spicy, salty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like his balls. <laughs> For the second half of the show, we're going to give some updates on some of the games we have talked about over the last two years on this episode. Uh, just as a reminder, our January show every year is always taking a look ahead at crowdfunded board games. We've done it in 2001, 2022, now in 2023. These are all crowdfunding games that we've either played or have some form of update on. Burns, we'll start with a game we've talked about on the show relatively recently. Mm-hmm. John Company 2nd Edition. Did I just call you Burn? Singular? No, I think you said Burns. Oh, good. Yeah. it's uh, We're recording this right after Christmas. I've been around kids and in-laws for like four straight days. My brain is just a little bit fried. Yeah, so. that will happen. You should not play John Company anytime soon, though. You, <laughs> should, you really want your brain to be fresh because it's a... It's it's an experience, that's for sure. Um, and as a reminder for our audience, it's a game where British aristocrats are influencing the East India Trading Company. It is the Dark Souls of Victorian England. <laughs> you could say that to some extent. Uh, yeah, so you're making all of your family members work for the company in different roles and trying to basically retire them to as good of a mansion as you possibly can. It's a competitive game with heavy negotiation, dice rolling, and a push-your-luck mechanic. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's competitive, but, like, you, unless you want the company to fail, you have to work together to try to make it all work. And so, um, you know, I've played the game now four times, including one time solo. And it's just, it's super interesting. I'm really interested to play it with more than three people. Um, to see like the dynamic and how that might shift. Uh, and if there's going to be like factions that kind of develop of people that are going to work together on certain things. It feels like it would be just a nightmare with my core group of friends. Like <laughs> Everyone would ally with Pat and I'd be like, no, we're going to do the merchant's path, man. It, it's really whoever is the chairman, people ally with that person because that's the person that controls how much money everybody else gets. Um, and, and Dibs then, on chairman. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And chairman, can be the scullery maid. If you're if you're the chairman, that's the other thing. Like with the games that I've played, um, so <laughs> Chewy has been the chairman every round but one. <laughs> the entirety of the game that I've played, uh, and and he's won like all the games that we've played with him because the chairman's a very powerful position to be in, uh, and and. You know, it's kind of random as to whether you retire or not, but uh, it's a really interesting game. I'm I'm super looking forward to trying to play it with more people, uh, just to sort of get an idea of how more personalities either work together or don't, um, and whether anybody ever takes the decision like I made to try to sink the company uh, and see if that actually ends up being like a winning strategy uh, at some point, because it could in the very in the right situation, maybe work out for people. But Adam, you want to be a bickering British aristocrat? Or are you going to stick to your massive book, single player, non, non, non-politic games? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I like crunchy though. So this sounds like I definitely got to give it a shot. And Joe's been talking pretty highly of it. And so, it's super unique. Like it's one yeah. of the most interesting premises. Yeah, and, and like anytime there's something super unique, I think back to this stupid bird game, yep. Wingspan, and <laughs> yep. how I just ridiculed the premise yeah. of that game. And it's honestly it's one of my favorite games. Yeah. And I think there's there's enough like randomness at play with this game that even if you have like, I have the winning strategy, it could get just shot down by the fact that, oh, you were the chairman, you retired the next day, you know, the next round. So, well, 
Uh, now you just got to make it work otherwise. Right. Or right. India goes to the handbasket and everybody's screwed. <laughs> well, speaking of randomness, the next game to give an update on is Frosthaven. We kind of yes. got a Ross and Rachel. Will they? Won't they ship it? Will they? Is it ever oh, going to actually arrive? I've seen people on Instagram playing that. Like I oh, saw yeah. someone that played like 50 hours of it. Oh, yeah. They said it was good. Why don't you get it? I don't know. He's I'm, not a reviewer, one. Th- that is one. I am not a reviewer. Um, I've already seen it. Adam and I were commiserating or wallowing. Misery loves company. I yeah. They could pull off like a heist to steal it from somebody. That'd be pretty <laughs> well, rad. We've seen people selling it in like the Facebook groups already too. And it's just like, God, like, like these people like, that are just selling the game. They review copies or like, no, no, it's just like, it's, it's shipping slowly, but there's such a large order of this game. Yeah. It's going to take a while for it to get to everyone, and yeah. they're obviously not going alphabetical. Otherwise, Burns would have got it, and they're not right. going reverse alphabetical. Otherwise, yep. Adam Wilson would have got it. So, are they going we don't in know. order of pledges or like <clears throat> size of pledges? I don't know. Like I, the way it seemed like, does they old were what's doing, his name just hate you? No, I think they were doing regions at one point. And so West Coast was first, and then East Coast, and then there was a Midwest because shipment. The post is on the West Coast. Yeah, and so um, I think the other thing is. Um, with add-ons, people that had add-ons, um, they were waiting on some of the add-ons to come in. So I think that's why I ended up getting dropped down because I had a couple of add-ons uh, included with my pledge. Are so, you talking about the organizer? Not the organizer. Um, I was talking about the, uh, there's a character pack for character X from original Gloomhaven, which is like an unlockable. Oh. Um, I got that one as well, I think. Yeah, so. and then I think there was one other thing that I got, too. I did not get card sleeves because I'm probably just going to get those separately. Mm-hmm. But. Burns, this must be miserable for you. You <laughs> loved Gloomhaven. I'm sure you are anxiously awaiting for this. I am. They've taken your money. Like, <laughs> I years would ago. go freaking nuts. Like, that's why I go to the store and I buy the game. Like, I don't want to <laughs> pay for something and then not know when it's going to come. Like, that yeah. is my personal especially if i'm investing hundreds of games hundreds of dollars in a yeah. game it'll come soon i mean it's it's it should sure. be coming it should be coming in early january i would guess at this point so the biggest thing is just like i, I know our gloomhaven group has been kind of itching to get back to the game and so um i think that's like once that happens we're going to get back into that kind of big time and it'll be fun once it gets here um so it's just just trying to wait and enjoy like other things in the time being so where uh, where do you think you're gonna play this game? Is it gonna be at your apartment or Chewy's house? Or? We'll probably mix it up between places. Um, like I floated the idea to the to the four guys. We could do it like each night at a different person's place. Um, I know some of them don't have as good of a setup as others, so you know we might not play at one or the two of the places. But we'd probably bounce back and forth between uh, my place and Chewy's place. I would guess. Well, I desperately love to hang out when it's at your place. Frosthaven never gonna come visit. <laughs> It'll come. It It'll will. be here. It will. Soon. Eventually. Yeah. Uh, Adam, I know we are going to jump across the list just yep. a little bit. Uh, I believe last year we talked about, well, last year I know we talked about Ark Nova. That was yes. the zoo building game. Yes. That has come. We were planning on playing it before you got sick. It yep. uh, didn't wind up happening. Have you had a chance to have your hands on Ark Nova yet? No. So the crazy thing about this too is it's shot up on the board game geek of all time list. I believe it's sitting at number four. So within what? one year... No way. It's shot like that's how popular this game is. And I guess update wise is yes, I got it. It it was technically just a pre order. It wasn't one of the crowdfunding games, but it was so hyped up that the pre orders were so hard to get. It felt like a crowdfunded game, Uh honestly. And the reviews for it have just been astronomical. Obviously, shooting up that high that fast means a lot of people are reviewing it and reviewing it high. Um, So, what is it that makes it like 
the, like the game I'm comparing it to is Dinosaur Island. It's not exactly the same thing, but no. like what is it that makes it so much better than like any of the other it, games? It takes a lot of popular mechanics from a lot of favorite games. So like okay. kind of that whole card mechanic that made Terraforming Mars popular where every card is unique. Mm-hmm. Which we're going to talk about in the June 2023 show in our Mars episode. Yeah. yeah. And it has kind of like a similar uh, action selection. So like the action selection is very unique in it. And I forget what other game has that. But basically, as you allow an action to sit there longer, it kind of builds power. So then like it goes kind of up in scale. So it's like maybe if you if you use, you know, action A right away, it drops to your number one slot. So it only is like times one. Mm-hmm. But a card can go all the way up to times five. So if you allow kind of your actions to marinate per se um it, they get better so it's just like it it sounds like they they take awesome mechanics of a lot of games and somehow meld them together to make them good and it kind of i think benefits off of that like whole wingspan like oh this isn't high fantasy and this isn't sci-fi this is just a zoo builder like you know you're mm-hmm. you're pulling animals you're pulling on the string of all those zoo tycoon people that mm-hmm. might not be board gamers and and so but yeah i mean i guess the big update is i have opened the box I checked every single card. There is not a manatee card. So, Joe, there is no longer reason for this you game. not to say you want to play this game. I was going to say, I can play this game now. So yes. Uh, uh, yeah. So, hopefully soon. Hopefully Birds, soon. Birds couldn't play it because of fear of manatee. Yep. Yes. Yep. Because I, I just send a harpoon right through that card. Right. You just you would draft <laughs> it so no one else could actually save the yes. manatees in their zoo. Yep. I'd open up a manatee grill. Yes. And then people would just be eating that. Well, Fresh man. meat. That was swore. <laughs> Thank you. This has been such a tight show, and I'm going to need it because it's three hours long, and I have two days to edit it. Tight like a tiger. Next up, Hexplore it. The, dom- the domain of Mirza Noctis, I think, is close enough on how it is. So I got caught up on Hexplore it. I thought it was Hexplore 2, and then I'm like, that's not right. I already <laughs> said the word. It's Hexplore at 4, technically. So... I guess the only update here is I did receive this in October, but I have yet to play it. I haven't dove into the rules variations. Like at its core, Hexplorts are all the same with your character development, things like mm-hmm. that. It's how the bosses interact, which changes a lot. And this is a fantasy co-op adventure that combines Victoria with horror, vampires, werewolves, and necromancers. Oh my. Thank you. Yeah. Co-op game. It's an adventure game with dungeon crawling and questing, tile placement, big boss battles, and a sandbox. This was the game that we talked about last year that I was yes. most excited for. And I actually reached out to them and they agreed to do an interview. But I had a second child and didn't really follow up on that. So hopefully we'll talk to the kind folks that make Explore It. I do apologize. Mate. I did not notice that that was on your sheet to say. I just like <laughs> threw that in there because of how you were building up to it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a holdover from last year. Actually, Adam made that joke. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. It, yeah it was so a good joke because... It's... <laughs> Or I just remembered it from a year ago or from glancing over it or something. I don't know. I'll just keep talking to make this even more awkward and even more long. You're killing me, Brent. (laughs) The thing that I remember from last year is you said there was something crazy like 4 million possible combinations of characters. Like I desperately, desperately want to play Explored. I feel like it's the bite-sized D&D that would fit this stage of my life right now. Yes, I I agree. So I gave Joe a little bit of a taste of it. We taught Mm -hmm. him the Volume 1, The Dead King uh one and and i think he saw how easy it is to like customize your character and then like we played and then i said oh by the way here's all the other options we can add on to character development and there's stacks and stacks and stacks and 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 like you said it is very versatile because the game is truly like a sandbox how you want to dial how fast you want to play so we played standard version because i said i want to give you the full experience but you can play double power-ups where everything you do is double the reward so you're leveling up twice as fast okay 
and you can like basically skip bosses because you're you're power leveling so hard that you can finish the game in probably less than two hours if mm-hmm. if you know the rules and it's you get into this sink where it's just like okay well that's a round and we just do this until the game is done yep. and and i think joe caught on pretty quick yeah. and realized actually volume one is pretty simple so for them to say kind of volume four is the next step would be hopefully the the thing where i could you know maybe jump in a couple new players and for sure have burns jump in as well too. i think you'd really like this game tom yeah it sounds super tom friendly so let's uh let's make some time to play that and a thousand other board games another, <laughs> another need instead of a want i'll add it to the list <laughs> Bernsey, one game that I know has come in for you and that yes. we have played together is Marvel Dice Throne. This is dice yeah. rolling superhero combat that is either co-op or competitive with dice rolling and character development. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said earlier in the show, that one came like right on time. Uh, had a chance to play it quite a few times, and we've played it a couple of times. I've only played um, it the one time with oh you. Oh, no, that's, we played it once. We meant yeah. to play it one other time, and then we didn't make that work. Yep, and that same board game weekend, uh, you played it again after I had to peace out. Yep. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's super fun. The eight characters all play pretty uniquely. The thing that's really cool that they do is that they add the complexity of the character right on the sheet, and they're all going to vary from two to five in difficulty. And so there's a couple of twos and a couple of threes. Uh, so it's really easy for people to jump in and play those characters because there's not a lot of, there's some gimmicks still that they have. Um, but nothing like crazy, like the fours or fives where you really need to, really try to figure out how to make some of the mechanics with it work. Like Loki uh, has um, sort of like trickery that he can do, but it it takes a while to figure out how to like pull that off. (laughs) Um, And then really it's just like a luck mechanic as to you can force someone to draw three cards and either they can't do what they did. They only get half the benefit of that or it succeeds, (laughs) you know? And so it's uh, it's just kind of interesting how that character plays compared with um like uh black panther who's one of the more easier ones to play i played Uh, as miles he was pretty easy to pick up yeah yeah black widow is a little bit more complicated but still not too bad um each of the characters is i think interesting uh the art design is really well done the dice all feel nice and the premium sorry the premium components that came with your all-in backing are awesome like the card sleeves look great such a slick presentation just like it nails the Marvel license. Yeah, and I think the biggest like actual exclusive exclusive is the is the Mjolnir Thor hammer that's like metal and has like the whole whosoever holds this shall have the power of Thor like etched on one side of it. Like it's just it, that's really cool. Even though it's like okay, well I'm gonna place this on your character mat <laughs> and then I'm gonna pull it back. Like <laughs> you know you don't use it that much if you're Thor. You use it a little bit, but it's still really cool looking. So they need a mightiest Thor expansion that has the shattered hammer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean I'm sure this is probably just printing money for them. They will I'm sure have a season two of the Marvel ones um, and a season three and a season four. Like there's so many characters that they could draw from. They could just have an X Men pack that has a bunch of them and And we've talked a lot during the show about listening to user feedback well the feedback is this give me venom (laughs) (laughs) the end give us venom Adam, you are very excited for Hoplomachus Victorum. This is a game that you had funded. It mm-hmm. came. You've mm-hmm. played it over the last three days, like <laughs> yep. a crazy amount. This is a chip theory game, correct? Yes, it is. Um, so this is actually their first venture into a solo-only game. So they came out with Hoplomachus Victorum, and then they did their original Hoplomachus Remastered. So 
their old it's their first game so i guess not old but like their first game they've changed a lot as a company and they've learned a lot so they basically are like we need to make our original game a proud stamp of chip theory again um just for like cleaning it up fine tuning it so what they did was kind of amazing. I went from like four boxes of Hoplomachus that were like pretty large to like actually a reasonably sized and they packed in as much as they could into that box and they just made it a very clean experience. Now Victorum though is what's allowed me to kind of still find that board game dad balance because it's hard to kind of get together with people. So that solo experience is really what I'm going to have to rely on a lot to get through some of my game stack of, you know, the shelf of shame that I've mentioned previously. So I I got this and I'm like, I really just need to rip this open. So this is like as a reminder, based off of one of my all time favorite video games, Gladys, um, which is still <clears throat> available digitally on the Microsoft store. Like if you're interested in playing this game of gladiator school, you can still buy it and download it. Or you could do what I did and buy the PS2 version, which I do have at home right now. Oh, like physical copy. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yep. And so should have brought that with you could have all touched it right I'll, now. I'll be right, I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's based off of that. And they also took inspiration from the slay the spire map. So basically what it is, is, the world map is this and they have this awesome because you know it's chip theory so they have neoprene on neoprene so they have this big like basically player dashboard and it has your world map at the bottom and it has your encampment on to the right side and then it has the enemy encampment on the left and basically you have your like reference cards to the enemies on the left and then when you're like encountering different battles throughout the land that's where the enemies go on the the right side you're literally building out your school of gladiators so the gladiators you've started with are there your hero in which you are leveling so you are the hero so if your hero ever dies you lose mm-hmm. um just kind of like in the game as well and so that's going to be your most powerful unit but the cool thing is is as you're going through that you can pick up different tactics and also different gladiators so every region has specialized gladiators and then you have a pool of just generic gladiators so that's how the bag building comes into play with this. So the the generic gladiators start in the bag. And then as you go around fighting at different arenas um, and you defeat enemies at those arenas, typically one battle per region that you win will allow you to put one of the local uh, special gladiators into the bag. And basically, you're rec- you can recruit as a reward for certain victory types. So every encounter, so this is what's kind of cool, is they have a stack of encounters. So there's different types. There's opportunity events where it's like special conditions that if you meet, you get a, a special level up. Then you have sporting events. So that's like king of the hill, capture the flag, and just a spar. So no one dies in that. They all just get kind of turned face down. And then you have like your... I'm totally mind blanking on the name, like the blood sport, whatever mm-hmm. it's called, where it's like you are battling to the death no matter what. So if your gladiators die in that, they die. They go into the bag as well. It's just bag this the bag of death. So it's this the super cool. Sadness. Yeah, the, the sack of sadness for sure. Yeah. So pouch of. Uh, yeah, we should have just stayed at the sack. Um, but it, it's this just like super cool mechanics. And, and and with the chip theory game, there's a lot of like interconnecting rules. So there's kind of a lot to learn. So I wouldn't call myself an expert by any means right now. And I, I feel like I've only scratched the surface. But being a solo, this is like my first true solo. So like you can't play with more than one player. This mm-hmm. is like, a, 
you got to be a nerd sit in your basement play with play with yourself style game and with with your sack um but i love a good sack with jiggling mechanic right that wasn't on the list so so that was not (laughs) one of the mechanics but it's there that was that was just outside the honor but but it's it, it gives me that experience of playing gladys again where i'm building my school and like oh i really like this tile of gladiator so i have this incentive to stay in this region to try to build that pool of recruit recruiting larger but maybe my you know objective so the main game has four main objectives so you have three basically primus events like big events that you have to go to the capital city in that region and you only have so much time to do that so every like you have like 12 weeks which is 12 rounds so you basically have up to like kind of 12 actions you can do like world actions in order to get to one of the bosses before and then you have to fight one of the bosses so you have to be in the capital at that point um but as you're doing that the final final boss so you have three primus events so three random regions are selected as as the the big events but the last and final event is actually the big scion boss so like basically the story behind it is <clears throat> pluto is angry because it's a god dispute like all other is the smallest planet you know right yeah. yep and so so he yeah. has released these monsters and he is kind of the final scion uh kind of the big final baddie but each kind of gameplay you pick one of the original scions he's released or you can fight him as the final boss that's a little bit more advanced and i'm still trying to beat the first scion myself personally but the cool thing is scions each have their own influence and like these like basically corruption chips that as you kind of f up and do not great efficient moves the scion gains influence over the entire world and as that happens you put scion chips into the bag so maybe you pull out a scion ship that says the next you know guy you pull that you have to fight is actually going to have upgraded attack dice so suddenly now the scion is like sending its influence out um to also affect that so like you kind of want to build up but you have this whole thing of like yeah but if i do this faster there's less opportunity for the scion mm-hmm. to like actually push out influence onto the world so it's it's once again just really mechanically sound yeah. and very satisfying as a game and, and i've just i've loved kind of every aspect of it and there's like tactics you can employ on people so you can kind of like hamstring someone so they can't move and attack in the same turn and that's also rewards for quests and then also a reward is just leveling your hero making them upgrade their attack dice or their leadership so you can have more people in your school or things like that so, so with this being like the first like true like solely developed solo game that you've played has that seen like has that seemed like it's been much more fleshed out and a much more fulfilling solo experience than other solo games or you think it's on par with like the best solo games or is it just like leaps and bounds above anything else you've played solo i think it's on par with really well thought out like one to four player games right not like true like this is a one player game Mm -hmm. so there are some very very good like multiplayer but you can play it solo games like i feel like too many bones is that way Mm -hmm. but i always play too many bones two-handed i always play with two characters i usually don't play solo that true true solo solo on that game um but like there are like unsettled you know it's technically released so there's a lot of feedback out there but people say don't play it by yourself it's not that fun Mm -hmm. so that is a solo game but it's more fun with with friends yeah per se so 
as a solo experience, I think it's fantastic because it's like you don't have to play that two-handed. I have my one hero. I created my hero, my character at the beginning, and now I'm I'm recruiting all these other kind of just generic units and also like region-specific units mm-hmm. um, that are fun and special, but they're not as unique as your character. How long is a playthrough? Like thinking of my own gaming situation, if I were to play this, it'd be on the table out in the living room downstairs where my children could get out. So like basically I'd have to wrap up at the end of the night. Like yep. is this, are we talking an hour? Are we talking 10 hours? Like yeah. what is the scope? of? So this there's experience? a learning curve. So I can't quite tell you how my experience is yet on, on a game. Like I could tell you right now, cause I've played enough solo too many bones. Like I can play a too many bones, full character cycle in less than two hours. Right? So this one I'm struggling through. I'm still trying to learn the mechanics. I'm still referring to rules a lot. I'm looking back like, okay, I well, remember been three this. Days. Stop goofing around. I know, right? Yeah. Um, it's 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 been three nights is really what it is, and it's me late at night trying to you know put toothpicks in my eyes and trying to stay awake and play that. Um, but but the cool thing with this is they have chapter saves. So like I can bring out, let's say you know you you bring out your your three primuses and your scion. They actually have like a tray that has slots for all of the region specific guys and then it has your card slots so you stick your card decks in there and they actually made a cap for it so a cap goes right on that and fits right into the game like right into the box so they actually are like they have a whole section in the rule book of here is how you save the game between primus events so maybe you like the first time i play it takes an hour and a half to get to my first primus and play but I can then be like, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to pack this up because I you know, have a one-year-old at home and I'm exhausted and I can't stay up past mm-hmm. 1230 anymore like I used to as a, you know, irresponsible, fun, young adult. <laughs> um, but but like I can then save that. And, and if I didn't have a door that I could just shut to keep everyone else out of my game room um, and I had kids playing around, I could you can easily pack it up and they teach you literally in the rule book how to do that. So it's very accessible and fun in that aspect i think what a great uh what a great aspect of it that they thought through any other initial thoughts on your playthrough with hoplomachus victorum uh, it's awesome i mean i the the my biggest actually kind of like regret of this game is it's like when i play too many bones i know i can go in and teach someone to play mm-hmm. this and and hoplomachus is like you kind of really have to be a solo board gamer to like have the desire to learn a complex game like this and and it's like i can't fully share this experience with someone but like the the same thing is is like it's scratching that itch of me not having to go like find a gamecube or a ps2 and then go buy the hard copy and then Mm -hmm. in two years have the disc break i'm getting my gladdest experience from this game well bernsey what do you think should we go over to uh adam's house and get ripped watching him play hoplomachus victorum have a little slumber party (laughs) sure sounds like fun (laughs) we can crash out on the floor of the man cave i mean i'd maybe rather actually play something but oh if that's what we're doing i guess that's what we're doing all right high fives (laughs) paper sorry i'll try to make less noise when i switch yeah, um, I, I appreciate that. Burns. Apologies. Uh, give us an update on Aeon Trespass Odyssey. This is a Greek mythology-based version of Kingdom Death Monster. Mm-hmm. It is co-op with world exploration, boss monster battles, and a heavy focus on campaign. I honestly can't remember talking about this one. Yeah. I remember Anachrony. 
Yeah, this is very different than an acronym. Oh, all um, right, great. Yeah, so this is that's a great transition <laughs> in the industry. <laughs> this is a very um, so this is the most money I've spent on a Kickstarter. Um, I believe all in. Um, it's like over four hundred dollars, I believe. Was it's what, more than that now because yeah, I I had was. the FOMO and I bought it as well. Yeah. So. so this is the most I've spent on a board game, and you know, as much as I was talking about how I don't really need necessarily miniatures or stuff like that, like the miniatures are kind of insane in this game, and like the really cool thing with it, and I haven't experienced this yet because I've just played um half the tutorial, but um. Like, there's, when you're fighting monsters, ways that you can, like, alter them, and you add pieces to them, and then, like, you can climb on them, basically. And so it's like Dragon's, Dragon's Dogma. Dogma a little yes. bit, you know? Uh, which is, I think, a cool a cool mechanic that you, like, add pieces to the miniature that you can then use as pedestals to hit at, like, other points or something like that. But uh, I played through the first part of the, uh, of the tutorial, and it's, it, it, it really has me super intrigued. Um, not only for the aspect of the game that I was really excited for, which was the exploration and storytelling of it. Um, a lot of things that I've seen people compare it to is a lot like um, uh, Tainted Grail from a story perspective, that it's like you have this story path that you start on, but then you start making decisions and those decisions get tracked and eventually like it's going to come back on you as to, did you make this decision, this decision, this decision, this is an impact down the line kind of thing. You love a good story tree. Yeah. So uh, so I'm super excited to see how that goes. And basically, each time you move the ship is a game day. And so you, you're you moving between cards or tiles um, whenever they come in the mail again um, uh, to, like, explore the area. And at first, you know, like, especially in the tutorial, you're basically just going down a straight path. Um, but eventually then you start to, you know, sort of broaden out. And then... Yeah, it's, it's all game days. So every time you move the ship, it's a game day, and then you can do all these different things in an area. And you can stay there the next game day and do more stuff, or you can move on to the next area kind of thing. Um, and it's really neat. Um, and then you have, like, each of your um, Argonauts, because you're, you're on the Argo, um, is very, like, Greek-inspired. And um, so your each of your Argonauts has, like, abilities. And at first, you just have, like, one. So, like, one of them is has a one into courage, basically. Another one has a one to wisdom. Um, and you have to do skill checks to see if you can succeed or fail in some of these like things that you're doing on your voyage, right? Um, but then eventually, you're going to end up fighting these big um, bosses. Uh, I'm completely blanking on what monster. they're... The, the monsters. I can't remember exactly what they're called. Are they take as titans no so the titans are what you're playing as so right okay it's funny when i mentioned the name aeon trespass odyssey someone was like that just makes me think of neon genesis evangelion and now that i've played the first part of the tutorial it's like it's basically what this is so like your argonauts put on a helmet which sinks them to a titan which is wearing the helmet and you're controlling these titans sounds and like pacific rim to me it's, it's similar to that too right and so these titans and because so these monsters are huge. Like the miniature itself is probably I Birds don't know, is illustrating with his five hands. inches tall, six inches tall. Some of them. Some of them are even larger. Well, you, you were moving your hands. I'm so like you, up, you were at five inches at one yeah. point and six for sure the next. Yeah. Do they vacillate in size? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's and, amazing. The more tech. excited I got, the bigger it got. You know. <laughs> uh, um, and your titans are only like an inch tall. 
right? So they the but, common man six inches. But then the Argonauts, if you actually had them represented in the game, they'd be like a fraction of that size, right? So you're fighting these large scale battles with these creatures. Um, and they even mentioned like AT fields. They call it Aeon Trespass fields, but it's like AT fields from Neon Genesis Evangelion, like exactly. So it's like, okay, you definitely just wanted Neon Genesis Evangelion, but with like Greek mythology. Um, got it. What a, bunch, what a bunch of nerds. Yeah. Um, so you fight these battles and as you're fighting these battles, you have what they call the Triskelion, which is, it has your three main stats that you're tracking through these battles and it's rage. It is fate. And then it is uh, danger or damage. So every time you get hit or every time you take uh, uh, damage, your danger goes up. If you're in like an actual attack action and take damage, you draw then a um, wound card. Um, that's not exactly the word, but it's something like that. And so if you have lower damage, you take like a minor wound. Then it goes up to major. Then it goes up to grave. And then it goes up to once you've gotten nine damage, you take the ovals. And at the start of the game, it's basically a 50-50 shot. You either die or live. Or or your titan dies or lives, uh, basically. Um, And what's interesting about it is these cards, these cards are probably the most interesting aspect of the combat in the game. Because they're not always bad. The whole idea of the combat system is... The more damage you take, the more fate that you tempt, and the more rage you get, the stronger you are. Um, And so each time you attack, your rage goes up one. And it's to represent the Titan getting angrier and angrier in this battle. Um, And as your rage goes up, you unlock more abilities that you can kind of do. So, like, you can re-roll damage dice... Um, or you can put into a pool, which is called the Kratos pool, because it's all fueled by your rage. Um, you can put different abilities within there to allow you to add increases to your attack rolls um, or to um, basically trigger off of part of the damage die to add extra damage to your attacks if you hit. And then each time you're attacking, you flip over the card of... Um, if you hit, you flip over a card and it's basically what body part you're attacking of that. And then you have to do so much damage to it to get through its AT field in order to wound that part. If you do a critical, you could possibly remove that part and then end up getting like an extra bonus. So I had a critical in one of my attacks and basically that ended up giving me precision, which meant that it was a plus one on every die that I rolled to hit, um, which was super powerful. Basically what happened is... I had four people in this battle, but one person was the one that kept getting hit, which meant they kept getting more rage. Um, One time they got hit. The minor injury that I picked up was to feign death. So they took the knocked down ability, but they're fake laying down. And then I got another card right after that that allowed me, if I was knocked down, to stand back up and attack as a bonus attack, which interrupted everything else that the boss was doing. And it's just this, this... sort of free-flowing sort of system and as the injuries get higher to more like grave the bigger swings that it could be so like i got one that was basically all right you get to do a bonus attack if you damage the part you get like three danger removed and you get two more rage um, but if you don't damage it, you die. Oh, <laughs> and so it's like super high risk, high reward types of things that are happening. So I had one person that was at, and then fate, you take a fate and you can re-roll a die. 
Um, so if you rolled three attack dice, you hit on one, you want to hit on all three, take two fate. But some of the cards, if you have so much fate, it's going to be a positive. It's going to be a negative. So you're kind of constantly like weighing what you should be trying to do here, um, which is just a really neat and interesting system. Um, you know, the, the one thing like playing solo, you're playing all four characters because you do have to play with four. Um, and so playing with more people means you're splitting that up more or each person has one person. So it'll go a lot faster because you really just, you can move and then you can attack. And that's like what you do on a turn. And then all four of you go and then the boss attacks. And some of those attacks can be like massive, um, depending on what happens. Yeah. Unsettled sounds cool, but let's, uh, let's play the game where we fight the giant monsters with these big epic (laughs) swings of our axe. So then you have this battle and then you'll have like four or five days where you're exploring, getting lore, learning different things. And there's just, there's so many other like interesting aspects of it. Cause basically, you know, typical trope, you wake up, you're an amnesiac, you know, you don't know what happened to you, but then as you go through the game, depending upon what happens to you, you end up getting these, I'm going to call it memory because like the word is nemos, nemos, I don't know. Anemone? It's M-N-E-M-O-S, which is a very hard word to say, but it's basically a memory. And so you unlock this ability to, as you level that card up, learn more about your history based upon something that happens as you're going through the story that starts to trigger that memory. What if you had just tattooed your entire life history on your body? Well, see that you know that, <laughs> that would have, that would have been smart. Yeah, they yeah. should have done that. Hindsight's twenty twenty. None of these guys are Guy Ritchie, apparently. It's unfortunate. I don't think that was a Guy Ritchie film. <clears throat> no, that's the actor, isn't it? No, Guy Ritchie's the Guy director. Pierce was the actor. That's what I got mixed up on. Yeah, Guy that, Pierce, that freaking guy. Yeah, and Trespass Odyssey. That sounds very involved. It's it's oh, and it's a lot. Like there's so much stuff in the box. I, I still haven't figured out how I'm going to try to organize it all. But wow. uh, to give you an idea, because uh, I also invested in Kingdom Death this last year. Uh, silly me. Um, <laughs> it is actually a larger box than Kingdom Death, which is kind of crazy. So core box to core box. The box would take up the majority of this table probably to that monitor yeah it and it goes like this high hard pass massive i'm out it's like i'll play with you if you invite me the size of the casket for a medium-sized dog yeah it's huge it's huge (laughs) it's so crazy yeah that's uh that's a very graphic way you painted that picture i'm sorry i couldn't think of anything else (laughs) there's worse ways i could have said it i suppose but we'll leave it at that certainly And Trespass Odyssey. Any other thoughts? Or I'm, ex- I'm playing it tomorrow with Chewy, and so we'll see uh, playing through the entire tutorial how that goes and how lugging that 30 pound box over to his place. Yeah, uh, that'll be that'll be interesting. <laughs> I, I'm excited for this out. one as well. Actually, it was one that I didn't back because Joe did, and time went on, and I just was like, I don't see Joe that much. Yeah. It's funny jo- that you call him Joe. <laughs> I, 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 it was one that burns backed, and I, and I, it, we try to coordinate a little bit on the games we back. So just because there are so many, but this was one that I'm like, you know, Joseph or Burns said I can play, and <laughs> you can call him Joseph. And I know, and uh, and so it's like, but I, I just had that like FOMO itch at the back of my mind. Like, I'm a huge Greek mythology person, mm-hmm. so I that's what really pulls me in is is the story and him saying it's feeling very much seeming like a tainted grail experience it, it gets me very excited so mm-hmm. that's why i've seen people i like bgg 
Yeah. Say, they say it's Tainted Grail, but with better mechanics for like the combat and stuff. Well, what am I doing? Let me <laughs> pack up Tainted Grail and move on to the next lifestyle game that I own. I'm glad we could help you see the light. One more game to discuss. Marvel Champions Sinister Motives. This isn't something that we have crowdfunded, but we have talked about Marvel Champions quite a bit mm-hmm. on the show. We did it as a main show topic November-ish of last year. Did we play that with Venom? Yeah, we played yep. that with Venom. Yep. So if you want a deep dive on Marvel Champions, you can revisit our Venom show from 2021. I believe it was November. Yep. Uh, but this is a Marvel living card game. It is cooperative, and the Sinister Motives has a campaign, is a campaign. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a campaign. Uh, so you go through basically... Um, Venom's one of the people that you fight in it. I'm in. Let's play um, right now. There's So basically how all the campaigns go is there's five basic five scenarios in the campaign that you play through. And as you go through each campaign that they've released for Marvel Champions kind of has a different for mechanic for how you level up or, or, or how you gain different things as you go through it. With this one, there's like a reputation system. So the more like points that you check off, then you unlock as you go down this reputation system more items. Um, the one thing that I was a little bit bummed at is before our final game, we were one point shy of unlocking symbiote suits that we could all wear. Oh, that would be sweet. Like, that symbi- is the dream. The symbiote suits are kind of OP, but there's a negative to them also. There's which, no negatives. Which is so fitting to it. But basically, if you have a symbiote suit, you get plus 10 HP. You get plus one to your hand size. I think it's there's one other plus, but then you get an extra encounter card for each symbiote suit. Worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like lots of encounter cards that you could be racking. No up hesitation. If everybody's in symbiote suits, but it would have been fun to have all of them in there. The other thing that you get with each campaign is you get two characters, and so the two characters that come in this campaign are uh, Ghost Spider Gwen Stacy and then Miles Morales Spider Man. Um, and each of them kind of have a very interesting sort of play style that they introduce with it. Um, Ghost Spider, uh, her main style is protection. And basically it was funny because Chewie was playing as, as Ghost Spider and he played more so on the defense phase than he actually played on the main phase because all of a lot of his cards that he had in the shtick that he kind of built with his deck was all in reaction to what the boss did to us. So he was like blocking for all three of us and able to, as long as he blocked well enough, untap himself, hit back, uh, and then blocked for Lance after he blocked for me, does like similar types of things and just like this crazy amounts of combos that he could pull off on that. Um, And then Miles Morales' big thing is a lot of shield items are sort of wrapped in with him. And so there's some synergies that you can build with all the shield stuff. So basically, once you trigger it, you just pull off like just tons of different things that you can do on one turn um, by just tapping all these shield resources um, to give you benefits for that. And so it was really cool to play with like both those characters in that campaign. And then I was Spider-Woman, which is actually from the Rise of the Red Skull campaign, which is also a really fun character to play as. Um, But it it was a really fun campaign to play through. Um, not like overly difficult, like some of them ended up being, um, especially like the guardians of the galaxy one, which is the one we're playing now, uh, is like insanely difficult at times. Um, and I've heard the X-Men one, which just recently came out in September, uh, has some real difficult parts, especially with like the final boss in that one. Um, but it's really cool. Uh, I don't know. Like 
that's the most played game we had all this last year. Um, we've played through almost all the campaigns now. We just haven't done the X-Men one yet. And, um, and it's super fun. Is Marvel Champions a masterpiece? Marvel Champions is really good. It's it's a really well done game. Like the fact that it's an LCG means that like if you get into it, it's like a steep price, right? Um, the benefit that we have is like we've all been buying different packs and are just like sharing it basically. Like I technically have them all at my house, but either of them, if they wanted to play it, can can borrow it and and play with all the cards and stuff like that. Um, but sharing spreading the costs out a little bit like Lance bought all of the Guardians and the Guardians uh, expansion um, and then I Chewie's bought all sorts of random packs and I think he did buy Rise of the Red Skull I think he did buy as like a present kind of thing and so we've been basically just sharing buying different things for the game and as we play through it um, enjoying it so so yeah you know, it's super fun I'm super excited to see where they go um you know the next two things we know are coming out are rogue and gambit um in um january and february i believe um and then who knows they haven't announced anything past that um a lot of people think they're going to keep going with x-men some people are wondering if they jump in with like either the defenders as a set or uh like the fantastic four as a set um but yeah oh it's it's a super fun game it's really fun to play um now that like I think it's one of those games, like you said, you sort of need somebody who knows how it works to really help explain it and and make that first playthrough. It was so super much helpful because the book is not very good at explaining how to play a game. It was so much more fun playing with you recently. We just played this a uh, couple weeks or maybe a month or so ago. We had played it back in November when you and I both kind of knew the rules and yeah. we kind of we were feeling it through. Now that you have played everything and are so well versed with it, it was a much better experience yeah. for me because you constantly remind me. It's like, nope, we got to untap. Nope, that is a um, alter ego action. Mm-hmm. And it's just, whoops, I just touched Adam's foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adam, have you played any Marvel Champions? Is that a game that has any interest for you? Actually, yeah. So when Joe and I were on a work trip, he brought it along and we played it one of the nights where mm-hmm. we decided we didn't want to hang out with coworkers. So that was that was a fun. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not like I like Marvel, but like I said, I'm kind of a Batman guy. So that's I don't know. The sad thing is Marvel gets all the fun stuff these days right now. So it's like great to be a Marvel fan. So that's why I'm like really yeah. hanging on to that season three, you know, Gotham City Chronicles. But no, it's actually, it's a fantastic experience. I think FFG or Fantasy Flight Games, their LCGs are some of the best games they yeah. make, in my opinion. Actually, to the point of after he did that, I was so interested. I went out and bought a couple of sets of the Arkham oh, Horror yeah. LCG and also the Lord of the Ring one. Lord, Lord of the, the Ring Rings. really good. Because... Well, they're doing a repack. I don't know if you know that. No, I So they, no they started with like a whole, like they're not right now making new cards, but they're condensing it down and like to like actual sizable like campaign boxes instead of all the individual boosters. So I got bogged down buying all the individual yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's like, I just, I fell behind. I forgot what I had because I was just buying them when I saw them randomly. Like a repack sounds amazing. Yeah. Me. So they, they did a repack. And so I bought some of that just to get a taste um, because I really enjoyed that, but I know there's really no point in me buying it because I could. I'm sure at any time we'd be like, "Hey, Joe, I'm kind of interested in playing Marvel." And I'm sure mm-hmm. you'd be like, "Yeah, I'll be right over." Okay, yep. sweet. Let's let's do this. You yeah. Play, I'll build the deck. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So like, there wasn't a point there, but like, I I I like that Lord of the Rings kind of mythos as mm-hmm. well, the IP and and I've Arkham. I always have connections to as one of 
Arkham Horror Second Edition is kind of one of the big games that got me into board mm-hmm. gaming. So I have that connection there, and I know that's also considered one of their like I think Marvel and Arkham are the two best LCGs yeah. in terms of like just completeness and and yeah. that. But I think Arkham is a little bit more solo oriented versus the Marvel where it's a little more fun to have the experience the, of a group. The big thing that I've heard too is that like Arkham is like the hardest of them. Yeah. Like the Arkham true, one is, true to its IP yeah. and, and it's the it's, Arkham LCG yeah. is the hurt me plenty of fantasy yes. flight LCGs. Yes. Is it a Arkham game? If you're not like literally always playing from behind, no, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. That is our ginormous show on board games for 2023. Next month, we're going to break down God of War. Joey, Brian, and I will discuss God of War Ragnarok and the God of War card game. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Joey at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter and Adam at Ox's Auditorium on Instagram, I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO on every social platform. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids.